This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Yes, it is time for A's Cast Live here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. Uh, today's theme is going to be about the big three. We're going to have Mark Mulder, we're going to have Tim Hudson, and we're going to have Barry Zito and a few other guests. But I wanted to just start the show out today by these are trying times. And we haven't been on since Friday because of Memorial Day. And I just know how tough this is for so many people. For me, my family, the commander, his family, all of your families. It's awful. And don't know when it's going to end. Just wish baseball would get back. It's like I want to just close my eyes and shut my ears. And I don't want to listen to the players. I don't want to listen to Union. I just, just figure it out. Get us back to as close to normalcy as we can playing baseball. And I just want to start the show. You know, I, I got to watch my wife, who's a first grade teacher do zoom and i see all these little kids who are locked in their house and i just shake my head so i i i want this show to be a distraction i want this show to be this is where you come from one to four on monday wednesday and friday to get away from the doom and gloom because everywhere we look right now doom and gloom it's really it's heartbreaking and it's affecting so many different people families, friends. So that's why on these days where I get a chance to help get you through it, that's what we're all about. And that's why Mark Mulder's coming on today at 1.30. That's why C.J. Nikowski is coming on at 2 o'clock, does TV for the Rangers, and also does the national show on Sirius XM. So we'll talk baseball with him. What's He lives in Georgia. They're a state that's open, so he'll give us some idea of what's going on there in the south. It's a Wednesday, so that means Ray Fossey will be here for a half hour at 2.30. We'll check in with Tim Hudson at 3 o'clock. You know, he just got the gig as the pitching coach for the Auburn Tigers. So how's that going to go going forward? And, of course, we'll ask him about his great A's career. And then Barry Zeta will be here as we'll have a little fun with Barry because if you don't know, Barry was, I believe, Final Four 
and The Masked Singer, which is on Fox. Yeah, he was one of four contestants remaining out of the 18. He went deep. Uh, pretty incredible. We'll, we'll talk about his new book out, but the fact that uh, Barry Zito, the rhino, as he was known on The Masked Singer, got really deep in the competition. And, you know, what is that like? I mean, obviously... He's an entertainer now. He's a songwriter, and, and, and he can sing. But this just isn't getting up with a guitar. I mean, you're now on national television. It's one of the most successful shows. There's a lot of pressure here. So we'll get into The mass Singer and so many other things with Barry Zito. That will be at 3.30. So Mulder at 1.30, CJ at 2, Fosse at 2.30, Hudson at 3, and Barry Zito at 3.30. And let me tell you, we tape pretty much the majority of our guests. We do that because of the millennial technology that I like to call it. You know, we, we don't want to, you know, hear the us calling and then they get, you know, it goes to a voicemail or whatever. You know, so it's just easier to tape. It's much cleaner. And I can tell you each one of our guests that we've now had. When I talk about we're all going through it. I mean, they're all just like thankful. They're like, yeah, man, of course I'll do it. Can't wait to talk. We re reached out to our buddy Jeff Blum, the former Cal Bear. Of course I'll come on. We even got Bob Costas to come on. No one's doing anything. And it's tough because we're all used to, to working. I mean, I'm just thankful of the, the, the three shows we get to do a week. I mean, Memorial Day? That's the first time I haven't worked on Memorial Day in how many years? Over 20 years? Always worked on holidays. So we just got to hang in there and just hope we, we, we get a turnaround here. I know a vaccine's not coming anytime soon, but the whole world's working on it. And everybody's working on a treatment. And if we can get that. But things are starting to open up around the country and sports is getting going. KBO's playing. Before you know it, the Japanese league's going to play. Oh, you know, back-to-back -back weekends, we've watched some form of golf, which I can watch Tiger Woods play Phil Mickelson any day. I mean, that that to me, I, I, it'll be a dream matchup forever. And to watch Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and NASCAR and, you know, hopefully, you know, what we're hearing from our, our national writers in baseball is they believe a deal will get done. They believe there'll be like a, a, a spring training 2.0 coming in June. And then at some point, early July, maybe even July 4th. I mean, how special would that be? July 4th and baseball opens up. I mean, Americana, our national pastime, July 4th baseball. Can't wait. Commander, how are you? I'm good. I'm with you. I'm waiting for... The, the season to come back. I've been following everything that's been going on the last day with the, the players and the union and, and Major League Baseball, so I'm hoping that we get resolution soon with that. And You're right, it was weird not working Memorial Day, um, but it was, you know, it was nice to have a couple days off. You know, My fiance being a nurse, she had some time off, so it was nice to spend some time with her where we're just not worrying about what's going on in the world, so it was, it was a nice little escape. And You mentioned our millennial technology. It actually works really well whenever you and I are doing the show together in the same place because we can mute that, but now we're in separate places. If you want to hear, you want to hear ringtones and dial tones and voicemails, I mean, we can make that happen if that's, if that's your type of entertainment. <laughs> but uh, that's one of the reasons why we do that. But 
I'm glad you explained that to people, but I'm also, you know, I'm with you and everyone else. Like, I, I can't wait for baseball to come back and sports. All, you know, we're seeing that hockey might be coming back. I don't know if I buy into the 2014 playoff, and it's unfortunate because every California you know, who team. Who cares? <laughs> okay, I mean, if, if, if the NBA, if they're going to take X amount of teams and they're going to put them at Disney World, which I've heard that proposal, and start playing NBA game, fine. Hockey, you want to play some crazy – Playoff format, fine. Just give us something. We'll take anything. I don't care what the rules are. I, don't, I mean, I don't normally watch NASCAR. It's not, no offense, it's just not, it doesn't float my boat. But I watched, I've watched part of that first race. Give me something. I don't care what the rules are. I don't care if all the teams in baseball, there's teams in the West, in the Central, the East, however you want to format it. Just give me a ball, a bat, players, and let's go. Did you see the KBO? They put all the uh, stuffed animals in the uh, in the stands. I was reading. I was. I saw some in- images of that, and I also saw what was it a couple weeks ago where they had the cardboard cutouts in the stands like that. It's fu- it's funny. Like it adds like the. Obviously, they're not real, but it's still cool to see that there's somebody in the stands. And you know, we talked last week how I mentioned that Daniel Kim had the note that they are going to try to do fans eventually with 20%, 35 and then 50% of capacity at the KBO ballparks. And we saw, I saw over the weekend that, or even yesterday, that the Japanese league is planning to come back on June 19th with no fans. So that's a good sign that they're going to start playing. We have the PGA Tour coming back on June 11th. Did you watch the match on, was it Sunday? Every minute of it. I watched from the 10th hole on. Uh, it was great Every TV. Every minute of it. Are you kidding me? I taped it. I, I can't, I mean... It, it was it, it, the back nine got super uh, competitive. Uh, Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson, they could have won that thing easily. Just missed some, they missed some short putts, but, and, and I know everybody wanted super trash talking, but these, these guys are the greatest of their sport. You know, they're, they're going to do some, but it's not going to get out of hand. Like I think people wanted it. And if you're not a big golf fan, I get it, but I am. And to watch the competition, to watch competition, to watch Tom Brady knock it in from the middle of the fairway, to watch Peyton Manning at some great shots. I mean, to watch that, uh, I loved it. I mean, it's the first time I've like just sat on my couch and watched a full event from start to finish. I've watched some movies, um, but I haven't watched any of those classic games from start to finish. I actually watched the golf start to finish, and it was compelling as hell. And that's what, you know, I mean, to see A's baseball again, just to see our guys get on the field, you know, and if they're in this division where they're playing the Dodgers and they're playing the Padres and the Giants and, the, you know, all the West Coast teams to go along with the the normal foes of the D-backs, well, not the D-backs, the uh, Angels and the Mariners, bring it on. Bring it on. And it's going to be – I. I think it'll be refreshing. I think it'll be really refreshing to see baseball, but see it differently. To 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 watch everything be regional, like really regional. Playing the Giants all the time, playing the Dodgers all the time. I mean, what wouldn't you say, Cody, that watching the A's and Dodgers is going to be like a heavyweight fight? Yeah, it's going to be great because you're going to see all the star power with Bellinger and Betts and Kershaw and David Price, 
who's now with them. You got Gavin Lux, who might be the next big superstar in baseball for the way he's been touted by the Dodgers. Corey Seager. Then you got our guys with Chapman and Olsen and Simeon and Loriano. It's going to be great if that's, if that's how it works out and watch it because it's, it's, uh, it's the modern-day 88 World Series and uh, 1974 World Series because you're going to see the Dodgers and A's play again. Yeah, and this is going to be really kind of the breakout. People know how good Chapman is. People know how good Olsen is. But what we see is the growth of, of an athlete. You know, you first get here and you just try and survive. Then if you're good enough and you survive and you got, you, you got extreme talent like these guys do, then you start being productive and then you start having confidence. And then all of a sudden there starts to be the, you have the expectations of yourself to be great. And that's kind of, it's kind of what we saw at spring training at spring training. You could tell they're one more year mature. They're one more year of knowing themselves. You know, Simeon's there right now. Simeon's played. Simeon's played through injuries. Simeon's played through the airs. He's played through the struggles, you know, the wrist. And he's now in his prime. And he's ready to go. And I think Olsen and Chapman are there too. And then you throw everybody else in the versatility. And the versatility of the roster, which the rosters are going to be expanded. And that's going to be... That's just, it just helps the depth of the A's. Now, where are we in the baseball reference simulated season? Are the A's in first place? I know, Cody, you've been following this. How are the A's doing in the simulated 2020 season? Well, I usually like to start with the day before, but we'll just skip ahead, and we'll start with today. Uh, the A's beat the Astros in Houston. They lost the first two games of the series. It's a four-game set. The A's are actually a game out of first place behind not the Astros, the Seattle Mariners are still in first place. Come on, man. I, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're in first place. But the A's got the 33-24 with a 6-5 win versus Houston. A.J. Puck picked up his third win of the season, going six and a, thir six and a third scoreless innings while striking out six. He's now 3-2 with a 4-8-6 ERA on the season. Liam Hendricks collected his ninth save of the year. The A's hit five home runs in the game. Matt Chapman hit his 12th. Chad Pinder hit his eighth. Matt Olson hit his 12th. Mark Canna hit his eighth. And Chris Davis hit his 16th home run of the season. Now, the A's have one game right, remaining. That, that right there is really good news. That's. I mean, you, 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 you get Chris Davis back to being Chris Davis. That's like, that's like, I mean, I just, you know how the Angels picked up Anthony Rendon? Now, obviously, Rendon hits for average power, but. Chris Davis, that's like a prize free agent. If you can get a guy that's going to give you over 40 bombs and 100 RBIs, obviously shrink that in half a season. So let's say he gives you 20-something home runs and he gives you 60-something RBIs. Oh, my God. And to go with Mark Canna now coming into his own. It's, it's great to see that you're right about Davis. And I, I read something earlier from uh, Tim Kirkson from ESPN. He was talking about all these different stats. And did you know that – the A's Chris Davis and the Orioles Chris Davis have homered on the same day 34 times. And Chris, and he mentioned how Chris Davis hit exactly 247 for four straight years. But both Chris Davises, spelled differently, and different teams have homered on the same day 34 different times in their career. 
I have no idea what that means. <laughs> the, the, the title of his article was like about coincidences in baseball, and he mentions that in there. Yeah, the biggest baseball coincidences you, ne- you won't believe are real. One of them talks about Eck uh, picking off Kenny Williams in like 1987, then he didn't pick off another guy until 1991, and it was Kenny Williams again. No uh, way. Prince, really? Yeah, Prince and Cecil Fielder both hitting the same amount of home runs in their career. Um, let's see. There was hey, hey, Chris Davis. I want to say hit two forty-seven three straight years. Uh, I want to say it was four. Let me I'll pull up his his stats. I, I Chris Davis right now in the simulated season is tenth in home runs at six, sixteen. Do you want to guess who the leader is? Who's the leader in home runs? National League or American League? National League, but he leads all of baseball. One of our fan. He's a fan favorite amongst us. Yes, he did hit 240. Oh, I forgot he hit 247 in Milwaukee. Yeah, I can give you a clue on the uh, who the guy uh, is. I'm going to say Cody Bellinger. Wrong. Beat the Polar Bears. The Polar Bears leads baseball with 20 home runs, which uh, is pretty pretty impressive. He's only played in 55 games. He has 20 homers. Cody Bellinger's fourth. He has 18. That's trailing only Pete Alonso, Nolan Arenado, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who both have 19. So Vlad Jr., Finally developing some of that power we saw in the Home Run Derby last year. Well, you sent me an article today uh, about something that I hadn't even thought of. You know, it's been a long time since old TSW, Ted Williams, hit 406. What was that, 1941? That's correct. Year was a year before he went to the military? Or no, two years before he went to the military. And you think of how many guys... In the history of baseball, well, you're talking about George Brett, you're talking about Tony Gwynn, you're talking about Wade Boggs. They hit over 400 for 82 games. Will this be the first time that we will see a guy hit 400 for the first time since 1941? So, since 1945, these are the guys to hit 400 or more in an 82-game season. Hall of Famer George Brett hit 476 in 82 games. Is that any good? I was looking at those numbers. It's, it's incredible. I think, like, he had the highest, and then, like, um, the next close was it Ichiro, I think? Ichiro at 427. The year he broke the hits record in 2004. Ted Williams in 1957 in 82 games hit 422. Former A, you know that list where you go, I forgot that guy played for the A's. Uh, He did it as a Red Sox. Noma. Nomar Garcia Parra hit 418 in 82 games. Wade Boggs in 1985 hit 415. This one blew me away. Tito Francona hit 411 in 1959. That's got to be his dad. Uh, Tony Gwynn hit 411 in 1997. Tony Gwynn hit 410 in 1994. You know, Tony Gwynn and Matt Williams, you want to talk about two guys that got the shaft. Because there's a good chance, you know, there's just something about certain seasons you're rolling and everything goes your way. Everything was going Matt Williams and Tony Gwynn's way. There was a good chance Matt Williams would have broke the record by Roger Maris. 
And Tony Gwynn at the time, what did he end up, I think, at 394? Tony Gwynn was surging when the strike hit. Could he have hit 400 in a full season? But twice, Tony Gwynn, 97-94 did it. Josh Hamilton hit 410 in 82 games in 2010. Larry Walker in 1997 at 408. Hall of Famer Rod Carew also did it twice, 407 and 1977, 406 in 1983. John Olerud, 1993, hit 404. Uh, I was watching a classic game. I forgot he played for the Yankees. He has a compelling case for the Hall of Fame. I looked through. I was looking through his numbers last week. He, has, I think his WAR. I think he has over 60 WAR. He has the numbers. It's a very compelling case. He is in the Canadian Hall of Fame, though I believe for playing with the Blue Jays. So there's that. But yeah, he. I forgot he was with the Yankees. I just remember him with the Mariners, to be honest. And he played for the Mets too, right? Uh, let me let me look up Olerud stats, and I can tell right. you. Sean, don't call me Chone Figgins. 2007 hit 404. Jeff Bagwell, the Hall of Famer, 1994 hit 402. Frank Thomas in 1997 hit 402, former A. Uh, Joey Votto, I mean, you just go down the list, 402. Roberto Clemente, 401. Tony Gwynn again, 401. Uh, Todd Helton, 401. Wade Boggs again, 400. Bonds, Bonds hit 400 for 82 games in 2002. Stan the Man Musial, Ray Fossey's favorite player in 1946, hit 400. Here's Ted Williams again in 1948, 400. And not friend of the program, but loved by Cody, Joe Maurer in 2006 hit 400 for 82 games. Uh, he, that's a lot of guys, man. That Maurer, was, uh, Maurer was a great hitting catcher, and people sometimes forget that he was a – he was a very good hitting catcher. He's also a guy that was recruited to play quarterback at Florida State, but he chose to play baseball instead. I got John Olerud's stats. He did play for the Mets. You're right. 58.1 career war. He has 255 career homers, but he has a 295 average, 1,230 RBIs, and an OPS plus of 129. That's uh, pretty solid. I wouldn't say he was the best player in his position through seven straight years, but it, – It gets down to are we, are we making it the Hall of Fame? Or are we making it the Hall of Good? Yeah. See that year that the year that Maurer hit he hit three forty seven that year when he hit four hundred for those eighty two games. <laughs> so well, Ma- Maurer, you make the case based off he's got three batting titles, he's 50, an MVP, fifty five career WAR, he has three Gold Gloves, a six time All Star. Should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm hoping he goes in, and then we could talk about putting Buster Posey in the Hall of Fame. Buster, to me, Buster's got a long way to go. Yep, I mean, I had an argument with someone the other day that they said how he's second in baseball to only Mike Trout in WAR, and I said actually he's uh he's not he's ninth in WAR if you look at baseball offense. And they brought up F four, and I'm like, are we going to argue F four and B WAR right now? I mean, if you if you're going to put Posey in and you say he's a slam dunk, how's Bernie Williams not in? How's Yadier Molina not a Hall of Famer then? Right, but, 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 but yeah, you're right, Bernie. Bernie. Will, yeah, Bernie Williams is a great case. Bernie Williams won four championships. He's got way and, and played a premier defensive position. Was great in the postseason. I mean, he's Bernie Williams, and people are like he's got no chance. It's like really, Bernie Williams has no chance. Bernie Williams has like six hundred more uh, RBIs. He's got way more home runs. 
Now, you sent an article that it may be a fight at 2.30. I'm actually afraid to bring on the face of the franchise, that be Raymond Fossey. You you have an article that you have found that basically saying the catching position is becoming irrelevant. And I don't think that's going to go over well with the two-time World Series champion. Yeah, it's a compelling argument in the article. Uh, I don't want to give it all away, but they talk about how the catcher could become the second DH in baseball. Because if you have an automated strike, uh, automated strike zone, what's the catcher doing? So they said how pitch calling could be a very important thing going forward. So Austin Hedges, great pitch framer, couldn't, can he become a great pitch caller? We'll find out in a few years. You kind of think, uh, is it going to be at a point where the number one thing for a Major League Baseball catcher is if he can block balls? Because no one's stealing bases. So was it? I mean, what I have here, the Rangers. We're talking about the Rangers today. They led the league. They led the league on stolen bases. I think they had a hundred. It was either one thirty-seven or one thirty-nine last year. It was one thirty-seven. They only stole a hundred. I mean, guys aren't running anymore. And how many of those times are are those stolen bases where the the team just kind of gives it to them? I mean, you know, having somebody like Johnny Bench or Pudge Rodriguez and the great arm, eh? And if there's an electric strike zone, eh? And really, the pitch, as much as the catcher, I mean, the pitcher throws what he wants to throw at the end of the day. And now they're even getting into, you know, they're getting into analytics with what pitch you should throw because they've broken down players like never before, knowing that, okay, this guy can't hit a slider. So throw him sliders. Even though you may want to throw fastballs, they're, you know, that's how much the front offices are getting into the game now. No. In this count, against this guy, throw this. It'll give you a better chance to be successful. Whether you like that style or not, that's what's coming. Speaking of what we're going to have here on Ace Cast Live, as today is really the big three day, Hudson, Mulder, and Zito. That's no day at the beach. And Ray Fossey it will talk about that that time that the the A's went down against the what would be the world champion Arizona Diamondbacks, and they got to see Hudson Mulder and Zito, and the A's went down there and swept them, and that's really what got the A's going. Those teams, it, it it's still crazy to think all these years. The A's have the same style of getting out to a slow start, figuring it out, and then get red hot and get into the postseason. This year, no, 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 no. This year, game one of 82, you better be ready to be hot. Because this this is going to be, everybody's going full bore, full speed ahead. It's a sprint, not a marathon now. Coming up next, he's one of the great left-handers in A's history. Mark Mulder will join us right here on A's Cast Live. COVID-19 is more than a health crisis. It's a financial crisis for many California families. In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, 
and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African-American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African-Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. During National Nurses Month, we'd like to thank our nurses across Kaiser Permanente. You've continuously gone the extra mile to keep us healthy and safe. You've sacrificed precious time with your own families for our families. You've all gone above and beyond. So from all of us at Kaiser Permanente, thank you. Thank you to each and every nurse out there. Thank you for your dedication, standing on the front lines, caring for patients and helping save lives. You are an inspiration to us all. Kaiser Permanente. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. During these horrific times, people still need to get food, and the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek does deliver. Give them a call at 925-322-8799. That's 925-322-8799. Don't forget, their world-famous chicken pie and also all the other pies that they have, you can freeze and have for a long time. So give the pie shop in Walnut Creek a call. You call them at 925-322-8799. You can also get beer, wine, and spirits with your delivery. And you can check out the full menu, chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to AceCast Live. Oh, man, the uh, space launch got scrapped due to bad weather. Is that Elon, Elon Musk's uh, launch to space? Yeah. Bad weather delays CNN breaking news. Dun, 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 dun. Bad weather delays the historic NASA SpaceX launch from Cape Canaveral. They'll try again on Saturday. Who I thought it was raining in Florida. Wait for it. In May. Because it doesn't rain on the East Coast ever. 
Well, that's one thing with C.J. Nikowski that we'll get into coming up here is that's it's great news for the Texas Rangers and everybody who plays the Texas Rangers that they got a new ballpark and it has a roof. So what does that do? That means no more rain delays. That means no more having to play and you know, a hundred degree weather with 60% humidity. I mean, it's gross. Now we're soft for Californians, but I'm telling you just walking last year from their ballpark to Texas live to go get lunch. I mean, you're just sweating. It's, it's just, it's so humid. It's oh, players won't have to deal with that anymore. I mean, Texas Rangers had some good teams that just kind of, they wore down. Because you're playing some games in the daytime, even at nighttime it's hot. It just wears on you. So you'll not have to do that anymore. So that's good for the home team and good for the road team. This guy was so talented. I remember when he was drafted by the A's out of Michigan State. He just looked the part of a great pitcher. What's Mark Mulder doing? You'll find out right here on A's Cast Live. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of the best pitchers the Oakland A's have ever had, a two-time All-Star, led the American League in wins in 2001, and won so many big games for the green and gold. Mark Mulder's back on the program. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? We're, we're, uh, we're, we're trying to get through this thing, and uh, so we're trying to bring on a lot of familiar voices, and uh, it's great to hear from you. How is life with the family and, uh, during these uh, times? Uh, you know, the, the whole homeschooling thing was, was maybe a little, a little, uh, tough, I guess, for the kids at times. I mean, we have, we have a, t- a 12, 10 and eight year old. So my wife and I did our best and, you know, I've never had to Google so many things that <laughs> you think you should know, but you know, it's kind of the way it goes. We, we've been doing good through this whole thing. I mean, we're, we're luckily in Arizona. So to be honest, uh, with the high temperatures and, uh, our state was not, uh, I, I guess you could say our state was, was much better off than, than many others. Let's put it that way. So uh, the golf courses out here never closed. Um, so that kind of gave my son and I some stuff to do. We took the kids out playing from time to time and, you know, kind of just got out of the house, I guess you could say, was the biggest part. You know, you've been a big part of the celebrity tour. And, of course, you won a couple times up in Tahoe. I've always wanted yeah. to ask you this. What's more pressure, pitching in the playoffs for the Oakland A's in front of thousands of people and millions on television or trying to win a golf tournament with all those fans around you? Well, to be honest, it, it, I, I think pressure is probably – the pressure obviously was baseball, but, you know, you didn't feel the pressure because you had so much confidence doing what you're doing. Um, it was more, I think for the golf, the golf was just that much more harder. It was that, that was that harder, much, much more difficult, I guess, because mentally I'd never done anything like that. So it was such a mental grind of trying to accomplish something, trying to finish something off and win a tournament that, that I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in, you know, and, and confidence is such a big part of any sport. The more you do it, the the more successful and more confident you are down the stretch of whether it's a golf tournament or, or pitching in a baseball game. So um, it was it was the golf was was I was much more nervous. I was much more uncomfortable um, with the golf than I was at any time playing baseball or pitching in the playoffs. 
did you get a chance to watch over the weekend, you know, Tiger and Peyton Manning up against Phil and Tom Brady? Yeah. And you could tell how nervous Brady and Manning were as they knew millions were watching. Oh, for sure. And, and that's what I try to tell people. Like, I, I, I have buddies who joke with me, they're, and they're all good players. And they go, man, I got to get in that Tahoe event so I can so I can put some pressure on you. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we're pretty similar golfers, but you wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't at least for the first couple of years because it is so different playing in front of that many people. And, you know, the first couple of years, I, I would have one of the three rounds pretty good. Maybe two of the three rounds I would do all right. But, dude, it was, it was a different animal. You know, all of a sudden you got the camera crew following you in a golf cart and they're posting up 10 feet behind you for every swing. Like, you can't imagine the, the, the thoughts that would go through your head of, you know, I'd, I'd be standing over a shot going, don't shank this. If my buddies see me shank this, I'm never going to hear the end of it. You know, you have thoughts. You have thoughts in those moments that you never have at any other point of the year playing golf with your friends. You know, so that's, that's where it's just such a different animal and just such a different atmosphere than anything you're ever used to. You know, we, we, we've gone over a lot of great things that have happened in Oakland A's and A's history, going back to Philadelphia, uh, and, and during this pandemic. And one of the things we talked about was the winning streak. Uh, when you yeah. look back at that time, your guys' staff, how you guys fed off of each other, and nobody wanted to be the guy that loses, what do you recall from that streak? Um, man, it, you know, it was almost, it, to be honest, a lot of the beginning of the streak is a blur because if you, if you remember, that was when we were going to possibly go on strike. So the first, I believe, 14 wins led up until that night of whether we were going to go on strike. So our 14-game win streak wasn't talked about a whole lot. We, we, our Players Association, we agreed with, major, with the owners that night, so baseball never stopped. We come back for 15 through 20, and that's when it became a big deal. I mean, you know, there, there, was, there was no media coverage of us winning, you know, let's say 8, 10, 12 in a row because it was all about whether we were going to go on strike and whether the season was going to come to a screeching halt. So uh, it, was, it was very different. Um, you, you didn't really think about it because you didn't know what was going to happen, and we were, just, we were just rolling. We were such a young team, man. There's so many things I look back with that team or with those teams at that time where – I didn't appreciate it because I was so young and inexperienced and we were just good. You know, we had a ton of talent. We had no clue how good we were, nor did we care. Um, we were just out there having fun, trying to dominate people every night. And, and that's all it really was. But 17, 18, 19, those wins, 20, you know, I felt like I just ran up those, you know, what, 50 stairs from the field to the clubhouse. We would run up celebrating on those couple walk-offs when Tejada had those hits. You know, just going, are you kidding me? Did that really just happen? You know, like we, we just couldn't believe some of those victories and the way we pulled those off. Yeah, and, you know, Tim Hudson's out there. You got a big lead, and then KC comes yeah. all the way back, and then Hatterberg hits it, and it's like uh, it's just magical. And I think of magical the big three and, and how close we were. Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, and yourself. What was it like being in yeah. a rotation with these guys? Well, it was awesome. You know, I always said, you know, I had, a, I had half the career basically that, that those guys had because of my injuries. But I always said those years, I would not have nearly have been as good had I not had them. 
um, the way they pushed me, hopefully maybe the way I pushed them, uh, I was much better off because of them. And the success that I had was directly related to being teammates with those guys. Um, it was like you said earlier, you know, nobody wanted to be the weak link. Uh, nobody wanted to be the one that, uh, lost the game when, when they pitched well. Um, I've, we've done so many of these interviews talking about the three of us that, you know, the, some of the one liners, I think, but I think the one that is the biggest was that if Barry went out and went eight innings, two hits, I wanted to go out and go eight innings, one hit. And Huddy wanted to go out nine innings, one, you know what I'm saying? So we, it was such a, the way we pushed each other to be better. Um, it was, it was awesome. And, and I owe a lot to them. You know, I, I think about when you were playing, how it's so different now. Like, as you said, if Barry goes eight, I want to go eight. And then Huddy wants to yep. go nine. Now it's everybody's five and dive. We're just, we're just happy if a guy gets to the sixth inning now. I know it is kind of crazy. And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily blame the, the pitchers. Um, it's the way they're brought up in the minor leagues and it's the way they've been brought up in the minor leagues for a long time now to where, to where they're being told five, six innings, Hey, you did your job. Great job. You know, so, so it, it's, and they might even want to, to pitch longer, but the teams, there's so much money in the game now that they think that by limiting these guys to six innings, it's going to prevent injuries. I'm just more along the lines of injuries are either going to happen or they're not. Um, by eliminating innings or pitches, it's not going to, it's not going to change a whole lot. Guys are either going to get hurt or they're not, you know, and sometimes, you know, in baseball, some of the worst guys, the worst mechanics in the world, guys would pitch for 15, 20 years and never get injured. Look at Mark Pryor, you know, myself. I mean, there were numerous times everybody would say, oh, your mechanics are great. Well, sure, but I had two shoulder surgeries. So what's that tell you? You know, so I, I do think it's kind of a crapshoot. I don't think there's any uh, rhyme or reason for certain things. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And that's just kind of the way it goes. I remember when you retired, you took a couple of years off, and then you started playing catch again, and, and you were going to make a comeback. And I remember during your comeback with the Angels, you ended up getting hurt. I yeah. know you did your throwing motion. What, what do you think you had left at the time when you decided to make a comeback? Uh, I don't know. I would love to think I had a two, three years, maybe four. I, I don't know. Um, you know, when I, when I, it was the second day of camp, uh, we were doing agility stuff. I hadn't even, it, day two was my day. You know, pitchers get separated into groups in spring training. And I was day two of camp to throw off the mound. And we were doing our last little bits of warm up, And I was supposed to go from there over to the six pack of mounds to throw for everyone. And um, that's for my Achilles, you know, and wasn't, uh, it's a fluke thing. And so I worked my butt off. I, I rehabbed five days a week, every single day for five straight months at a rehab place. I mean, I went there eight months for rehab, but it was five days a week for five straight months because I thought, okay, this is my one chance again. Let's do everything I can. And to be honest, when I, when I started playing catch again, once my ankle was better, it, the, it just wasn't the same. It, the way the ball was coming out of my hand wasn't the same. Uh, I honestly believe if I would have been able to, if I wouldn't have had that happen I honestly believe I would have made that team uh you know even being out for 
five years, whatever it was, because that's how good at the time I was throwing the baseball. And then when I came back from the Achilles, the ball wasn't coming out of my hand the same way. And it's hard for me to describe it, why or how. It just wasn't good enough. I mean, I know how the ball needs to come out of my hand. I know what it needs to do in order to be successful at that highest level, and it wasn't there. So uh, why that is, I, I have no idea. But, you know, people were like, oh, just go sign with somebody and, you know, see what happens in spring training. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm not going to waste my time. I don't want to waste anyone else's time because that's what I would have been doing. I know it wasn't good enough, and it was unfortunate, but what are you going to do? Let's end on this. Everybody during this pandemic has been doing a deep dive on something. Uh, your buddy Barry, Barry Zito was the rhino on the mask, uh, the, the mask yeah. singer. Uh, but, you know, whether it's books, it's movies, it's Netflix, it's Hulu, what have you been doing a deep dive during these times? Um. Wow. Uh, can't say it's necessarily a deep dive, but we moved into a new home in September. So it was just a ton of, there were, obviously we had furniture, we had everything moved in, but it was all the little things around the house. Um, just getting situated. Uh, I was in charge of my youngest son for, for school stuff. My wife had our middle child and then the oldest one, we were both kind of helping with stuff. So to be fair, there was so much time I was spent doing that. And taking my kids golfing, that was, uh, that was how we passed a lot of the time because in Arizona, we, during the last couple of months before it kind of got hot, we had, you know, 80 some degrees every day. So it was perfect days. And around noon, we'd have some lunch and head out to the golf course every afternoon. So it was a lot of fun. You know, the great thing about well, moving sucks, but the great thing about moving <laughs> is you get rid of a lot of stuff. Yep. Yep. I, jeez, uh, you, you wouldn't believe some of the baseball stuff I came across whether it was bobbleheads, whether it was just things in boxes that were in cabinets in the garage, they were on shelves, you know, whatever it was. I found so much stuff, which obviously I get it. A lot of people would have been, oh, can I have that? And I kept all of it, but it's just, you know, I'm never going to do anything with a lot of it. You know, I found these, I found these cups with me and Hudson and Zito, these like big, almost like 7-Eleven looking cups, uh, big jug cups. And, you know, it has our pictures with the Pepsi logo on it and stuff like that. It was hilarious. I didn't even know I had all these things. So it was uh, it was pretty entertaining coming across some of these things. Well, I got to tell you, you're a voice that A's fans know, and I know they really appreciate you taking the time to come on A's Cast Live. Be well, stay safe, and uh, hit them straight. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. The great Mark Mulder. It's a lot of fun catching up with these guys. It's a big three day here on A's Cast Live. He was at a uh, he was at an event with his kids, so that's why you could hear all those kids in the background. <laughs> you, I think it was like a birthday party or something like that. Yeah, I remember him saying something. He was at some like somewhere in was it Flagstaff or something? But yeah, I mean, that was. Uh, I remember him telling us there were a bunch of kids around. Do you want bad news? I mean, it's not bad news in a in a way, but it's bad news in the MLB.com dream bracket. Bad news. The 88 team lost? The 88 Oakland A's were taking on the 2001 Seattle Mariners who won 116 games that year and lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Yankees. Well, they did the simulation. The A's fall to the Mariners four games to one. Oh, come on. Here's, Stop. Here's the write-up. Mariners starter Freddie Garcia and Jamie Moyer, remember him, were unscored upon in the first He's two games. He's still playing, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, most home runs ever given up by a pitcher. 
Can you imagine how many home runs he would have given up last year if he pitched in baseball with all the home runs hit? Oh, my God. So they were un- they were uh, unscored upon in the first two games, helping Seattle take a 2-0 series lead over the 1988 A's. Oakland got the win got the win column in Game Three behind Dave Henderson's go-ahead three-run homer in the bottom of the seventh inning, but the Mariners limited the A's to five runs in the final two games to close it out. Every Seattle starter had at least one hit in Game Five, and Freddie Garcia tossed five innings of two-run ball to earn his second win of the series. Coming up next. From 1996 to 2001, there was only one player to have 30 or more home runs a year, 100 RBIs a year, and score 100 runs every year during that time. 30 homers, 30 plus, 100 plus, 100 plus, 1996 to 2001, who am I? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All righty. This player from 1996 to 2001 is the only guy 30 or more home runs a year, 100 RBIs or more a year, and 100 or more runs a year. Commander Cody, can you name this player? The first person I thought of was A-Rod, and I looked and I was wrong. There was one year where he didn't have 100 RBIs. I've been going through trying to figure this out. I, I, can't, I can't find it. It's going to be someone that I probably would never suspect, like Sean Green or something, but well, I'm, I'm curious who it is. Happy birthday to Hall of Famer Jeff Bagwell. Wow. Didn't even think about Bagwell. Those are monster numbers. Uh, no, there's a reason he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, because I was looking. I was looking. Like, I just looked at like who led the the uh, who led baseball in runs scored in 1996. It was Ellis Burks with 140. I'm like, well, he was an okay player. He didn't hit 30 homers and drive in 100 runs every year. But like Bonds was on there and A Rod, and there was one year A Rod didn't have 100 RBIs, but he had 100 runs scored and 30 home runs. But uh, Bonds the one year where he uh, he's taking steroids and he he blew out his elbow. So is that why he always wore that big brace on his elbow? Or is that just because he wanted to protect his elbow from getting hit? Yeah, he didn't want to get hit. But, yeah, I remember he was – I'll never forget. I went up to interview him. He's in a cast, and it's the classic line. I don't do interviews when I'm out. And right now, I'm out. I'm like, you don't do interviews when you're in. What do you mean when you're out? <laughs> but he was – you know, he's not playing. He's in a cast. So, you know, I said, what? Uh, I, I want to say that year – and it's not allegedly. Game of Shadows has this. That was the year Bonds, because, I mean, Bonds would have done that easily. But that was the year he got hurt. I want to say it's 97 or 98. Why is baseball reference so slow? Is it just on my end or no, what? No, it's, it's here, too. It's been going slow for me also. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's being overloaded. It's being overloaded today. Yeah, it would have been uh, 99 is when he got hurt. Wow. From 94 through 2003, Bagwell had 100 RBIs in every year but two. He had 87 in 1995 and 98 in 2002. He had 116 runs driven him before the season ended at the strike in 94. He let, let all baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And don't forget, back in the day, too, Bagwell was playing at the Astrodome, the eighth wonder of the world. And that place was tough to hit it. That was a tough place to hit. And what's crazy is when we were growing up, we thought the Astrodome was like the biggest thing, right? Like it was huge. Well, was it this year? Was it last season or the, yeah, I think it was last season, Raiders taking on the Texans. And the, I can't remember what the stadium's called there in uh, Houston, but you drive, you know, NRG, come in. NRG Stadium, something like that. It's they like all NRG have something. Some, you know, all the names now are so bad. Uh, you come rolling in and you're like, you can't believe the Texas, the Texan Stadium is so massive. It makes the Astrodome look like a little arena. And that's not the case. I can't believe it's still standing. I guess they do rodeos in there, and I guess it's still standing. But, yeah, Bagwell uh, Bagwell had a – you know, the Astros had some good teams. They just could never win. I mean, they had pitching staffs. You know, you got Ryan and Richard and, and Scott. And, I mean, they had – I mean, they had some unbelievable talent. And they just – I mean, the year they brought Randy Johnson and Randy Johnson uh, – was I, I think he was undefeated when he got traded from Seattle uh, to the Astros. When he got traded to the Astros, he was undefeated, and then they lost. It was a bit what ninety eight, and they would lose to the Padres. And Kevin Brown was shoving at the time too. But the Astros just had these good teams and could never get up over the hump until recently when they're cheating and they're banging on trash cans. Randy Johnson was ten and one with a one twenty eight ERA. <laughs> For the think Astros. That was a good trade for him? <laughs> uh, another good trade was the Bagwell trade. Do you think the Red Sox regret trading Bagwell? For 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 old Larry Anderson yeah. and an old slider? Yeah. Think they regret that trade going forward? I mean, yeah, they eventually got well, I would say David Ortiz, but he played DH exclusively, so yeah, well just think think about Bagwell and the Green Monster. Now he had power to all fields, but that's the thing, man. If you if if you can pull the ball at Fenway Park as a right-handed hitter, a la Jim Rice, you can just – if you've never been to Fenway Park, have you ever been to Fenway Park? I have not. Not yet. It's great. Like, like you walk down to the monster and you look at the home plate, and it is just – I mean, it's not far out there. I mean, it's just – I mean, for Wade Boggs, flick of the wrist, fly ball – and you got a double every time. And you didn't even have to crush it. You just got to flick it. You just got to get the barrel and flick it out there, and that's going to be a fly ball off the wall, and you got a double. How do you think he had 200 hits year after year after? I'm not saying Wake Bottoms wasn't great, but when you play at Fenway Park and you're a right-handed pull hitter or you're a lefty that can go the other way, I mean, you can take advantage of that like, like, like you wouldn't believe. So today we are looking at the Texas Rangers. Is this our first team in our own division? Uh, no, we did the uh, – if you're talking about teams that, are, that might be – well, we did the Mariners and the Angels. But the Mariners aren't really competitive, and the Angels are oh, – right. they got That's Mike right. Trout. So the Rangers last year were 78-84. and 84. Now, when I was in Texas with the ball club, they had a better record than the A's. The first half, they were 48 and 42. Second half, 
They took a total nosedive, 30 and 42 after an 8 and 16 record in July. And during that time, they went 6 and 13 against the A's and the Astros. It's a game of home runs, and they only hit 223, 16th in baseball. Now, it just doesn't mean as much as it used to, but they did lead baseball in stolen bases at 137. Their farm system isn't great, ranked 21st. Corey Kluber it was added from the Indians. Can he stay healthy? Starting pitching last year, they were 45 and 60, 17th best in baseball. They got good years out of Lance Lynn and Mike Miner. Can this rotation hold up? Bullpen wasn't that bad. Bullpen there 33 and 24 with a 4.73. ERA. Now, normally I would say to you, oh, I love it. Cody, I, I love your big uh, subtractions. The great Jace Tingler is no longer with the ball club. Uh, that's a huge loss. He was the director of major league fielding or whatever his job title was with the with the Rangers. But now he's uh, one of four managers or five managers they have with the Padres. So that could be a big loss for, for the Rangers. Ooh. Yeah. Exactly. Jace Tingler, look at their subtractions. Jace Tingler, no one ever heard of. Adrian Sampson, who got pissed about bat flips. Now he's uh, in the KBO. (laughs) He's in the KBO. Uh, Nomar Mazzara, Delino DeShields, Jr., and Hunter Pence, now back in San Francisco. I don't really see any major, um, even though Hunter Pence did have a good first half. I don't see a major uh, a major loss there. Mazar has power, but that's really about it. He kind of wouldn't couldn't figure out the whole contact thing. And with Hunter Pence, I forgot this because I finished Jared Jared Diamond's book Swing Kings finally, and they mentioned how Hunter worked with a, uh, one of the swing coaches to fix his swing, and that's why he got so much better last year with the Astros or the Rangers. He was swinging up on the ball. Uh, the thing with him is he was an All Star starter before he got hurt. It, it was DH. But still, he was, that's how good of a year he was having before he got hurt. And now he's back with the Giants, and they chose him over Puig, which I don't understand. But Puig is still sitting out there. Someone's going to sign him eventually. But Well, he, he, he's, buddy was, he's buddies with the Panda. Great. Two guys that are going to be playing off the bench are, good, are best friends. Great to hear. <laughs> but yeah, they really didn't so, lose a lot when you, think of, when you think of it in the grand scheme. Because they still got Joey Gallo coming back from injury, which – he was great for a while. He was on an MVP track with the, the batting average and the home runs, and he wasn't striking out as much, and then he got hurt, and that kind of killed their season when him and Pence went down. The number is one. What does that stand for? Joey Gallo, in 1,337 career plate appearances, last year got his first ever career I know this. sacrifice fly. <laughs> I remember that. How is that possible? Uh, he doesn't like to, I mean, he hits fly balls. How does, how does he only have one career sacrifice flying? He got it last year. The crazy thing too, is he, he, um, he should understand that a sack fly doesn't go against your batting average. He gives you an RBI. <laughs> I just, I, that, that. Hey, when we're talking Rangers baseball, we love having CJ Nikowski on CJ also has a show on Sirius XM radio, former pitcher and, What's cool about this interview is we get to talk about the KBO. 
because towards the end of his career, he played in the KBO. He also played in Japan. The Rangers have a new stadium. It looks incredible. And let's face it, they might be one of those teams if they do have a good starting rotation. Hey, everybody's got a puncher's chance in an 82-game season. Here is the left-hander, C.J. Nikowski from the Texas Rangers and Sirius XM MLB Radio. CJ, it's great to hear your voice. Thank you for coming on. And how are you there in Georgia? Hi, Chris. Good to hear from you as well, man. Uh, we're doing well. No real complaints here. Obviously, outside of the fact that there's no major league baseball games um, to talk about every day. But you know, things here in this part of the country are pretty good uh, compared to other places. Might seem you know, not quite normal, but closer to normal. I got a real haircut yesterday, which was very exciting. Uh, my first one in a long time, and then. You know, my youngest is 12, and they've been playing baseball for a couple of weeks. They've had practice, I guess, for about a month now. And then the last two weekends, we've gotten games in, um, which has been really nice. So that part for the kids especially, I mean, as much as it could be frustrating for us and, and stressful for us, you do worry about them and, and kind of what their normal looks like. And so to, to have him be able to go out there and do some things that he should be doing at this time of year has been really nice. So we're having in with, with no real major complaints. You know, a few weeks back, Driving around, Sirius XM, I love the baseball channel. And, yes, I re-upped. I'm being loyal to all you guys. I re-upped. I love it. And uh, you were talking about, like, Little League dads and soccer dads. (laughs) And and my kids were in the car, and they used to play soccer. I have 14-year-old twins. We were just rolling because we know exactly what you're talking about, the crazy dad, uh, whether it's soccer or Little League or whatever it is. It It was funny what you guys were doing. Yeah, it is, you know, always been something, um, having an older one, too. I have a 20-year-old boy who went through playing, I guess he's a Simon's and Como boy, but uh, he, um, you know, he went through the whole thing. And so I've been through it a couple of different times. And it was one of the things that when you, you know, kind of start to work your way out of your professional playing career, you get your first taste of what the modern Little League dad is like, or, or any sport parent for that matter, you're a little bit taken back. And one of the things that's, that's shocking in the group, not always, but there are times you get in certain situations that, that people don't care about your background. Like, they don't care that you played professionally. They think they know it all. And that even sometimes happens at the older levels, even in high school. And I don't know if they're worried that you're going to come in and think that, you know, you know everything because I, I never take that approach um, at all. Or they don't know anything either that you're not going to listen to, you know, average dad, what kind of ideas he may have. But there's always an interesting dynamic there. I've been fortunate that my kids have had some pretty good coaches. We've had some bad ones, too, just like everybody else. But it is a little bit nutty. Um, what's interesting here, what we're doing in Georgia now, which I wish would, would – be something that's stuck here going forward. So we're technically not allowed to play in tournaments right now. And you, know, you hear about all the injuries for arms, for baseball arms over the years, and, and what the kind of damage that can be done if you're not taking care of those young arms. Well, it's not it's not tournament-style baseball. We're just playing a set number of games on the weekend, almost like they're set up to kind of like scrimmages. And so you meet, we met with a couple of teams, and I think it was like, I don't know, somewhere about six or so teams, and they just set schedule. We played a game Friday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday, and you're done no matter what, which I love. It's really, really good for the kids because there is no, you know what, we might have to play three or four games. We'll try to make a run to a championship. We're going to push our arms really hard. That's where a lot of the damage gets done for young baseball players. I know it's not going to stick, but it's kind of turned into a little dream of mine that this is the way that we would do things for not all of the season, but for most of the season. But it is the crazy parents that probably would not allow it to happen because they get so competitive and they want their kids to, to win fake rings that are bigger than the Nationals World Championship ring uh, but are worth uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, one ten thousandth of the value, if not more. 
you know, one thing I wanted to get into with you today is, you know, I've been over to Japan twice with the A's. We've gone over there. Not only do you play the Mariners, but we play the Japanese teams. And it's a lot of fun. They got their bands going. It's kind of like college football. And each guy that comes to plate, they have a song for. And then I think about the KBO, watching it on television and watching these guys with the swagger and the bat flips. You played in the KBO. What was it like? Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed both of those places. Japan was a lot of fun. Korea was a lot of fun. Certainly differences, not just from the baseball here in the States compared to those two leagues, but even among each other. So it's been really great exposure uh, for KBO right now to be able to get some games here on ESPN and for an American audience to get a real good feel for what they do over there. They are missing out on probably one of the greatest experiences though of playing there, and that's the fans and how they interact and how they watch the games and the loud cheering that goes on. That is very unique. Uh, to baseball, especially the baseball that we have here in the U.S. Uh, so that was a really big part of it. That made it a lot of fun. And, you know, the international experience, I would tell people all the time, is, is maybe one of the greatest gifts that this game gives us as professionals. First, the exposure you get to players from all around the world just when you're playing here uh, in the States. That's a really cool thing, and it's, it's tough to get at that level with that kind of intimacy um, in, in other careers. Yes, you can work with, you know, in your career with people from around the world, but the amount of time that you spend with guys from other parts of the world is really cool. And then if you get the chance to go play in other parts of the world, that's also a really cool gift um, that the game has given me and has given so many other players um, just to experience it from a family perspective. Uh, living in a different country just kind of broadens your mind. And I love that. I really did enjoy it. There's some sacrifices there with the time that you spend away um, from your family. But, but other than that, it has been uh, – I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. Do you ever think we could get to a point where – there are bat flips, and we're not having pitchers throw at guys because, I mean, making baseball more entertaining because these guys in the KBO look like they're having an absolute blast. Uh, yeah, they are. I mean, I think, you know, it's different. It's all about how the game, um, you know, how you're taught the game and the game that you watched your entire life. I would say this. I think when it comes to some of the things that we talked about and we've talked about in the past with, you know, bat flips and things that are happening, I always say that we can never tell people how to feel, right? I mean, we, we can we can offer our opinions about, hey, this wasn't that big of a deal, but we can never say, hey, you shouldn't feel this way because this happened. Right? Now, those are those are always personal to us and how we, we take things, good or bad, because there are some guys that don't mind if someone's bat puts on them, and there are some hitters that might not get too bad if a pitcher you know, does a fist pump after he strikes him out, and there are guys on both sides of that who don't handle it well and don't like it, and I think that's okay. I think that should be allowed. Um, to some degree. So I think that even though, yeah, they, they are having fun, there's some things that are going on. You know, those bat flips a lot of times really have more to do uh, with their swings, you know, quite honestly. It's just the way that there's kind of that high finish and the way that they end up letting go of the bat. It looks like a, a bigger bat flip than it probably really is. Um, but it's certainly a different a different style of game in that regard. And the hit-by-pitch is like in Japan, if you hit a guy there, you're expected as a pitcher to bow to him as a, as a way to kind of apologize and say there wasn't intentional, right? That's just kind of a, a customary thing. It's part of the culture there. That's never going to happen here. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> not. I mean, you're taught. I remember first getting into professional baseball and being taught that if you hit somebody, uh, even if you did on, didn't do it on purpose, that you probably should act like you did it on purpose, which I thought was kind of strange, you know, when I first heard that. And the idea behind it is that you just don't want to show any weakness at all and not that you're out there trying to hurt people, but that you're not going to sit there and be like, oh, sorry, 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 you know, while you're standing on the mound in the middle of competition, which I don't necessarily agree with, but those are the kind of things um, that are taught to professionals, and, and everyone treats it differently. 
You know, the last time I was uh, in Arlington was when there were the tornadoes and that 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 gray sky came over and started dumping rain. And, you know, there was like there was like tornadoes in Plano and it was just a crazy time. And I got to think this year, brand new stadium. You got a roof. You know, no matter how how many games we end up playing, we know that every home game is going to get played. There's not going to be rain delays. It's not going to be too hot. I think Ranger fans have to be so excited going into this year now that they're going to have a roof over their heads. Oh, no doubt. I mean, they are really excited, as they should be. The ballpark is absolutely uh, beautiful. It's a gorgeous ballpark, and I just saw some some pictures that they tweeted out um, today of, of the clubhouse. Uh, and they said it's an acre and it's like 40,000 square feet. And it's, it's amazing. It's empty. And it's really sad that nobody's in there right now. But I think for both the players and the fans, this place is, is going to be amazing. And I fully expect us to see some baseball in that stadium this year. And, and perhaps we even get to see some baseball with fans, hopefully, at some point. But, you know, the issue with playing in Arlington, I, I used to never love going in there as a visitor in August. Like late in the season, it would just be so hot, especially if you're not used to it, not playing there all year and so humid and it would it could be a tough place to pitch because the ball sports flew out of there as well so you have the combination of a, a pitcher trying to have some stamina face really good lineups at the times that i was there in a ballpark that's really good to hit in it was it was a real challenge trying to watch day games there or even half day games in the summer is it was always a challenge um at the old ballpark at globe life park and you had to have sunday day games you had to unless you're playing on sunday night baseball that's the way the schedule works and so you were forced into some of those games. So it was a real disadvantage, I think, for the Texas Rangers uh, when it came to attendance. And so that became an issue for them. And, and this ballpark is beautiful. It's attached to Texas Live. They just got, it's, it's great. It's unfortunate that it's not uh, full of people right now the way that we thought it was going to be. But that time will come, and hopefully not too far off, and everyone is going to love this place. Yeah, if any of our listeners are ever going to go out there, and I'm sure because, you know, Ace fans travel around, or if you're going to go see a Dallas Cowboys game, Texas Live is absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the barbecue place, the bars, I, I was like, whoever came up with this concept, it, it's brilliant. And I think once you get baseball going again, you know, bringing Kluber over, I, I think you got to be excited about your guys starting rotation. Uh, without a doubt. And real quick, going back to the Texas Live, it's kind of, I think, the model going forward. And we've seen it. This isn't the first one. They just keep getting better and better and better. You have the Battery in Atlanta. You have Ballpark Village in St. Louis. And this, this kind of keeps happening. And, and we, of course, love everything bigger in Texas. We have the space to do it. And we like to see uh, big things. But it is, um, you know, it, it's this trend that you're seeing in the game right now. I think the Angels, as they talked about, trying to buy all that property around the ballpark and what they're going to do. That's where the game is headed, more entertainment um, around the ballpark. But from a team standpoint, you're absolutely right. And coming into the season for the first time probably in a long time, Ranger fans were looking at their rotation one through five and feeling really good about what they had. Not a lot of question marks there um, at all, which was which was really encouraging. Corey Kluber looked really good um, at the end of spring, or I say the end of spring training, what turned out to be the end of spring training. Mike Miner and Lance Lynn have been amazing signs for them. Uh, Kyle Gibson is a guy that they expect more out of, and he expects more out of himself as he went through um, some injuries and what uh, last year, some things that he was dealing with, and then Jordan Lyles. You know, there was. There were some spurts there last year that got you excited about what could be. So uh, it is a deep rotation. And like I said, for the first time in a long time, I think that uh, fans and certainly us as broadcasters were excited about every fifth day who was going to take the mound. And we'll get to see it here sooner or later. Um, but actually leaning on starting pitching to make you a contender. Yeah, I can tell you it's uh, Lockhart, 
Smokehouse. I walked up. Oh, yeah. And I go, I, I, we, we had that double header. So I took Fossey and Glenn Kuyper over. I walked up. I go, I'll take the brisket. I'll take the ribs. I'll take the sausage. <laughs> I ordered like one of every. Well, you're on per diem. So I'm like, I, I ordered one of everything. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, that really is. And, you know, Pudge has a pizza place in there. Uh, Troy Aikman has uh, a bar in there, a cool little kind of beer and food place. The screen that sits in the very middle of the, what they call the arena is ridiculous. It is the biggest indoor screen in our country uh, that's not hanging in a stadium. I mean, I want to say it's a 100-foot screen that they have in there. They do music events in there. There's an outdoor music venue. Um, the, the PBR bar in there, you go ride mechanical bowls, you can bowl. I mean, it's, just, it's an amazing little setup. And even as a pre- and a post-game, or if you just want to go there and watch the game, we're just talking about you know what baseball is going to look like when we get back. And I threw out the idea – uh, to those in charge that, you know, it sounds like broadcasters are probably going to stay back when the team's on the road and we'll see no good decisions have been made yet. We have to obviously get things settled. I said, what about us calling games from there? Like if they're starting to let fans kind of come into Texas live and watch games, uh, how cool would it be to be able to call the game, uh, a road game among some Ranger fans in a really cool spot. So I don't know if it'll happen, uh, but that's the kind of opportunities um, of things that you can do there. That's like, like I said, it's a feature of what's happening in, with sports, but definitely in baseball. And uh, when you come to Arlington, or if you're in Dallas or Fort Worth for work, make sure you come by at least one time and check this place out. So in a shortened season, it, that this brings a lot more teams into it, right? Because 162 games, you really get exposed. You, you see the warts. 82 games, I mean, so many teams got a puncher's chance. We know the Astros are going to be good. We know the A's are going to be good. Uh, we know the offense for the Angels is going to be tough. I don't know how they're going to get 27 outs. Uh, but in an 82-game season, what has to change for the Rangers to give them an opportunity to potentially get into the postseason? Well, it's certainly helpful, right, because it sounds like we'll have expanded teams, too, right, if we see 14 teams in the postseason, which will be really fun and trying to make that push uh, for some more postseason action. That helps pretty much everybody. Uh, but when you talk about the Rangers in particular, I think that – I mentioned the pitching, and we feel really good about where that's headed. I think the club certainly does. But what about the consistency of the lineup? And what we saw from Joey Gallo for three months last year before he got hurt was incredible. I was He got to a place where I didn't think he would ever be able to get to. I, I was kind of resigned to the fact that, you know what, it's going to be low batting average with a ton of power. It's a trade-off that teams are okay with these days. That's the way the game is trended. And he found a way to hit for average without giving up any of that power. I mean, he was on an MVP track last year before he got hurt. Now, does he have to be MVP caliber every single year? No. But if he becomes that kind of guy, and, I, and like I said, a guy that I didn't really think that he could become, just because it was such a, a far leap from where he was, that becomes really important. When you have that kind of bat in the middle of your lineup, and then you start kind of going up and down um, the lineup, and you got really good version of the veterans that are also there. That means two. That means Elvis Andrews. That means Rudin Odor. Right? It's been a little bit of a battle for him to find that consistency as far as what he's doing at second base. Really nice add um, at third with Todd Frazier, who can also play some first. And so it's a matter of really, I think, the consistency of that lineup. That looks, it's absolutely capable. Like whenever we sit there and like talk about teams, it's okay, here's how a team can contend. If they can do this, if they can do that, if they can do that, right? We, we kind of do this all the time with teams. I think when we talk about the Rangers and asking for the consistency of that lineup, it's not a far reach. You're not asking them to do things they haven't done before. You're not asking them to say, hey, you have to be the absolute best version that you've ever been of yourself to give this team a chance to go to the postseason. It's not that. You know, that 85 90% version, a lot of these guys, if they can stay healthy, will be enough with the pitching that they have. 
always great to have you on the program. Good to hear your voice. Can't wait to see you back in Oakland. And uh, good to know you guys got some things going there in Georgia and you're starting to play a little baseball. And I'm sure that's good for the family. So be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, it's good for the soul, too, to see those kids out there playing. Gives us hope that we'll see the, the big leaguers doing it soon. Always a pleasure, Chris. Good guy and obviously talented pitcher, but also but also a very talented broadcaster. Cody, I just sent you with the L.A. Times, and I, I've kind of been researching this. The L.A. Times with this deal, who would win a best-of-seven baseball series between the best players raised in Northern California against the best players raised in Southern California? I was looking at this uh, over the weekend because the Northern California part was done. I think it was John Shane, Bruce Jenkins were working on it. And some of the players on this team uh, for the Northern California, because I didn't see Southern California until today, their team released. I saw Northern where, California. Where, where, where are you seeing this? Uh, it's on the, if you click on the link you sent me, if you scroll yeah. down one tweet down and there's an LA Times article, it has the rosters. The uh, first base roster for Northern California. Uh, Willie Stargell, Keith Hernandez, and the late Bill Buckner. Um, pretty solid. Second base, Joe Morgan, Hall of Famer. Uh, Dustin Pedroia and Tony Lazeri. Shortstop, Troy Tolowitzki, Jimmy Rollins, Joe Cronin. Third base, former A, Carney Lansford. Ken Caminiti, Stan Hack. The great Ken Caminiti, the San Jose State Spartan. Catcher, Ernie Lombardi. Joe Ferguson, Stephen Vogt. Outfield, Joe DiMaggio. I mean, he was pretty good. Uh, Ricky Henderson, <laughs> he had a nice career. Barry Bonds, um, he has a couple records. Frank Robinson, solid <laughs> player. Lefty Old Duel, Willie McGee, uh, Aaron Judge, Kurt Flood, Henry Heilman are the outfielders, and then the pitchers for, the, for Northern California. Tell me if these guys are any good. Ra- Randy Johnson, um, some guy named Seaver, Tom, Dennis Eckersley, Stu, Lefty Gomez, Dave Rigetti, CC Sabathia, Tug McGraw, Mike Norris, John Wetland. So that's that rounds out the roster for Northern California. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty good list. Do you want Do you want Southern California? Okay, here, here's here's my here here's my problem because I was looking at this. I'm like, wait a minute. My guy, George Brett, was not born in California, but he grew up in El Segundo, a suburb of Los Angeles. So they don't credit him. He grew up. At three years old, he moved to Southern California. He grew up in Southern California. You're going to tell me he can't be on the Southern California team because he was born in West Virginia? It says guys who were – it doesn't say you had to be born here. It said you had to be raised here. Well, it's funny you say that because the third baseman for the for Southern California on this list from the L.A. Times, here they are. Nolan Arenado, Eddie Matthews, and George Brett. So Brett, okay. make, Brett, Brett makes the team. You're trying to tell me you're playing Nolan Arenado over George Brett? Uh, I, I think Northern Southern California has some uh, pretty heavy hitters down here. Second base, Jackie Robinson – Jeff Kent, Chase Utley, first wow. base, Eddie Murray, Big Mac, Wes Parker, catcher, Gary Carter, Lance Parrish, Bob Boone. 
Uh, who Bob Boone, who went to my high school, Crawford High School. Shortstop, uh, the Wizard, Ozzie Smith, Noma, and uh, Alan Trammell. The outfield, I mean, just the first two names alone, uh, Ted Williams, the greatest hitter ever, and uh, Tony Gwynn, arguably one of the other greatest hitters ever, Duke Snyder, Christian Yelich, Fred Lynn, Ralph Kiner, Dusty Baker, George D-Bank. Foster, Bobby Bond. So it'd be cool to see Barry versus Bobby. And then pitchers, Don Drysdale, Walter Johnson, Jim Palmer, Raleigh, Trevor Hoffman, Brett Saberhagen, Straws, Steven Strasburg, Burt Blylevin, Garrett Cole, Bob Lemon. Ah, wow, man. He just started throwing out. First of all, Nolan Arenado is not starting over George Brett. Um, I, I'll agree with you on that one. I don't think he starts over Eddie Matthews either. I don't think he's the back. No. That's why he's the third no. list. Th- uh, we're, third hey, we're, not, we're, not, we're not playing this series in Coors Field. Yeah, he's like, no I, think, I think he's a career, if I'm if I'm going off memory, I think he's a career two, 265 hitter off the mountain. Um, I'm starting Ozzie Smith over Nomar Garcia Parra. See, I'm only seeing the starting lineup. I'm not seeing the actual roster. I but this would be—I mean, look at all the Hall of Famers on. on, on <laughs> yeah, look, Tony Gwynn's batting eighth. <laughs> uh, think about the outfield for the Northern California. All right, so you're gonna have Ricky and left. You're going to have, you know, what are we going to do about left? Because Bonds and Ricky both play left. Joe DiMaggio is playing center field. And I'm going to DH Frank Robinson. Yeah, I'm looking at the. uh... Who's a better right fielder, Ricky or Barry? Who has the better arm? Don't don't ask me because I'm biased because Sid Bream's on the phone. Oof. All right, so Ricky's playing right. Okay, there you go. I mean, yeah, if you're looking for defense, I'd put Aaron Judge in right for a defensive replacement maybe because he has a pretty good arm. But, yeah, I'd go Bonds, DiMaggio, and uh, Ricky in left. That'd be the outfield for Northern California. That's incredible. Can we make this happen, put everybody in a time machine, make this happen? I'm sure we can make a roster. We can probably have someone make a roster and MLB the show and do this because people make – uh, a lot of like f- old rosters and stuff. Like, there's one on there now with like McGuire and Canseco and Stu and all those guys on the A's. Yeah. Uh, people, yeah, you forget Eddie Murray is one of the greatest switch hitters of all time. I, I can see him in the lineup. A lineup of Jackie Robinson, Ted Williams, Eddie Murray, Mark McGuire, Noma Gassiapara, Duke Snyder, Nolan Arenado, should be George Brett, Tony Gwynn, and Gary Carter. Basically, everybody in your lineup. So, because I would take, I'd take Nomar out, put Ozzie Smith in. He's a Hall of Famer. I take Nolan Arenado out and put George Brett. He's a Hall of Fame. I mean, everybody in your lineup's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Who, who, who was our? So you got who, who was behind? Who's starting for the Northern California team? Oh, let me up. I close it. I'll pull it up again. Oh, I don't have the lineups. I just have all the. I just have the rosters. The the thing I'm looking at is the rosters for the teams. So the outfield and the outfield, my, we, the outfield we had Bonds, DiMaggio, and Ricky, uh, and Frank Robinson is my DH. So all Hall of Famers. Uh, you can third base. You start Carney or Ken Caminiti. 
Oof. Am I getting steroid, Ken Caminetti? I mean, the ninety. It says ninety-six Padre, so there. <laughs> I think that answers your question. <laughs> I mean, he was a beast. He was a beast. Who's the shortstop? Uh, you got two thousand ten Troy Tulowitzki or two thousand seven MVP Jimmy Rollins or Joe Cronin of the nineteen thirty Senators. Just a little bit before your time. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know much about Joe. Um, do I want J. Roll or Tulowitzki? I I would go Tulo because he. He was a better defender, I think. But he played at Coors, so how good of a – Yeah, I got to go J-Roll because, you know, we're taking him out of Coors Field. Second, right, who's, second base, Joe Morgan. Yeah, the other guys were – First base, two. First base was Pops, Keith Hernandez, or the late Bill Buckner. Uh, I'm going Willie Stargell. Thank you. I, I no, 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 no disrespect to those other guys. They're great players, but Willie Stargell's – Who's behind the dish? Uh, so you have Stephen Vogt, Ernie Lombardi, uh, Lombardi, or Joe Ferguson. Uh, Reason he bias, I'd probably go Joe Ferguson. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lombardi played in 1938, a little before my time. And, I mean, hey, he had good years in the 30s. Um, you know, you could do an all-Hall of Fame lineup for Southern California. You're not able to do that for Northern California. Yeah. You don't got a shortstop. You don't got a third baseman in the hall. Are any of those catchers in the hall? Well, Vogt's, Joe Ferguson. I don't think so. Obviously, votes not. Let me see. Ernie Lombardi. I'll the, do Joe Ferguson. By um, the way, Ray Fossey going to join us in moments. Uh, yes, Ernie Lombardi, Hall of Famer. Uh, in doesn't when did he go in the Hall of Fame? He went to the Hall of Fame in 1986 on the Veterans Committee. Let's see, old Joe. Actually, Joe's still alive. There's no way he's a Hall of Famer. He was a World Series champion with the Dodgers in 1988. Uh, we're putting Lombardi in. The 1938 catcher is behind the dish. This is a really fun list. I can't wait to get into it with Ray Fossey. Do we have his open, please? Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Hello, Ray. Howdy, my friend. How are you doing? And how's Commander Cody doing? I mean, this is... This is what I look forward to every week. I mean, when this is over, I can't wait till the next Wednesday. You know, this is special, so I appreciate it. I'm well, doing how you, fine. How, how you doing, Cody? He wants to know. Foss, I'm doing great. It was great to talk to you on the that phone yesterday for, for a while. It was good to hear your voice again. Uh, but I'm doing good. Absolutely. Well, well, Cody told me, Tony, that you got the big three. Uh, um, that is tremendous with Hudson Mulder and Zito. To have those three on, you, you're doing a tremendous job getting all these interviews with some of the greats and the great history of Oakland A's baseball. And I think it's special for the fans and it's special also for those players who have since taken off the green and gold to come back and visit with you and talk about the great times in the green and gold. And I think you guys are doing a great job. So keep it going. Keep it going. Okay, Foss. I just we, we have found something that the L.A. Times has brought up, and it's fascinating is you're going to make an all-star team of guys who grew up in Southern California versus guys that grew up in Northern California. 
And I want you to get ready for the Southern Cal. You're going you're gonna to catch this game, Ray, and you got to get, get ready for this lineup. Be ready for this lineup. I'm ready. The outfield is going to be Ted Williams, Duke Snyder, <laughs> Tony Gwynn. Your infield is George Brett, Ozzie Smith, Jackie Robinson, and Eddie Murray. Behind the dish, Gary Carter. Wow. <laughs> all from all Southern California? Yeah, and by the way, my DH is Mark McGuire. Oh, yes. I knew you'd put him in there. What about uh, if you had have any notable pitchers? Uh, a guy by the name of Jim Palmer, uh, Walter okay. Johnson, and uh, Don Drysdale. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, and you know who's finishing the game? Your guy, Raleigh Fingers. That's right. He's from down. That's right. That's a tremendous lineup. They should never, ever lose a game. Well, wait a minute. I'm coming at you with Northern California. How, how about this outfield of Ricky Henderson, Joe DiMaggio, Barry Bonds, and Frank Robinson's the DH? <laughs> oh, I love this. I love <laughs> it. And the, and the infield's got Joe Morgan at second, right? Yeah, Joe Morgan. You got Ken Caminetti at third. You got Troy Tulowitzki at shortstop. First base is Willie Stargell. And uh, a guy, which 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 catcher are we going with, Cody, who's in the Hall of Fame? Hall like of Famer. Hall of Famer Ernie Lombardi. Ernie Lombardi. That's right. That's right. And you know what? I, I, I know Troy Tulowitzki is great, but Marcus Simeon's from the Bay Area, too. So, you know, you could put him in, in, in there as well. But no, that that's a that's a great lineup. And the pitching staff, throw some names at me. Cody, give me the names of the pitchers. Uh, you got Randy Johnson. That's uh, right. Yeah. Tom Seaver, Dennis Eckersley, <laughs> uh, Stu, Lefty Gomez, uh, Dave Rigetti, CC Sabathia, Tug McGraw, Mike Norris, and John Wetland are the pitchers for the oh Northern gosh. California team. <laughs> Hey, you, you know what, guys? That might be like when uh, Harvey Haddock pitched a 12-inning perfect game. You know, they're, with, with that staff and that lineup, they're, who knows? I mean, they'll either outscore everybody or there will be no scoring with the pitching staffs of those teams. That's, that's tremendous. No, that, that, that's, you know, that, that's amazing, Tony. If you think about the athletes, that, the names that you just put out there, you know, you forgot, you know, Veda Pinson's in there as well from the Bay Area. Kurt Flood, you know, there's the on and on and on, you know, of, of guys who grew up in the Bay Area. So, you know, those are some tremendous lineups. And, and just how great it has been for the two Northern and Southern California to have those players growing up in the area and, and then going on to be major league players, and many of whom are in Hall of Fame. That's tremendous. That is a, that's a tremendous, tremendous lineup on both sides. So I take back what I said before about the National League because the the are the Southern California because the Northern California that's a great lineup as well. Here's our dilemma, and I'm thinking about Northern California, and maybe maybe we might switch the DH. Where young in his career, where did Frank Robinson? Uh, where did he play? In the outfield. Did he play right? I think so. I think so. I, I, for the for the Orioles, I'm pretty sure he did for the Orioles with uh, uh, Paul Blair in center and Don Buford in left. And I think Frank was in right. Okay, so we got to uh, make a change because Bonds and Ricky 
are both left fielders. So, and Joe right. D, we're not taking Joe D out of center. He was a great center fielder. Yes, he was. So, do we play? I mean, you're my bench coach. Are we are we playing Ricky or Barry in left field? <laughs> it's a toss up. If you want, if you want on base, well, Barry during the period of time where he carried the baseball for about three years, his on base percentage was off the chart. Of course, Ricky, we know, was always a walk turns into a, he's a third base with a couple of stolen bases. So uh, that that's a tough call because you almost have too many players for not enough positions. And that's a hard call to make because I agree with you that those four outfielders, Joe D has to play in center. Frank Robinson, I mean, with his bat and his ability to do everything, especially with a bat. I mean, you talk about the number of home runs alone in the outfield with those four guys. Well, that, well that's tremendous. They're all going to play. It's just who, who do I DH and who do I play in left? So who's okay, going to DH? Well, okay, then I would DH Ricky. Well, they're, you know, Ricky and Barry are both gold glovers. So uh, it's, a, it's a toss of the coin, but I would probably I would probably have Ricky DH because in the American League, the DH has been in existence since he started playing in the major leagues, whereas Barry spent his time in the National League where he played in the outfield. So I would go with Barry in the outfield and his bat in the lineup with Ricky as DH and those are two very good weapons regardless. But I think just because of the DH in the American League versus the National League up to this point, uh, I would go with that. Can you imagine your 3-4-5? <laughs> you, go, you go left, right, left. You go Bonds, Frank Robinson, Willie Stargell. That's amazing. You, you know, Tony, what you mentioned basically are two all-star teams that are put together every summer. The, the summer classic, because those are all all-stars, all, you know, mostly hall of famers. Um, and I'd have to have the list again to find out who's not in the hall of fame, but the majority of those players that you mentioned are, and, uh, but boy, you, you take, you take Tony Gwynn and Ted Williams from the South in the same lineup, two of the greatest hitters all time. That's, that's tough, but man, what, what a great, great series that would be. And, um, maybe, you know, with all this, uh, all these teams that they're putting together and playing each other, maybe just like you said that they would do that and see how it comes out. I would be interested to find out how it's going to come out because it's a toss up. Those are all, all great players from North and South. And I think California, you talk about benefiting from the big state that it is and have the number of players on the teams. Those, those are great teams. I, I'm just, uh, I'm just floored thinking about those names that you guys came up with. So they are doing this. And game one was played yesterday in San Francisco at Seals Stadium. Gabe Kapler and <laughs> Dave Roberts put together the lineups for the teams. Northern California won the game 11-6 to as Barry Bonds hit two home runs and Joe Morgan homered off Don Drysdale to highlight a five-run first inning and then Bonds homered again in a six-run third as they cruised to 11-6 victory over wow. Southern California. You're going to lead off Ricky and then you're going to have Joe Morgan hit, hit second. Leading yeah. into Bonds, Robinson, Stargell. Then you're going to have <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. I mean, the lineup. I, these lineups would be so stupid. It'd be incredible. But you know what, Tony? How could you have Don Drysdale give up all those runs? Did he knock anybody down? <laughs> because he played at a time that, I mean, you, you, if you hit 
a ball hard off him, forget it. You're you're down. You're going down. If the next guy is, then you're going down. That was a time that, you know, you didn't dig in very much. I'm surprised that he would have given up those types of numbers uh, while he was on the mound without somebody seriously getting knocked down. And then everybody else, that front foot in the bucket just because they think they're going to be next. Those were the fun times. <laughs> I hated to be on the receive. I had to be on the receiving end of it, but uh, so that that many runs were scored. That's surprising. That is surprising. But I mean, the offense is there. Um, but it'll be interesting. How many games are going to play, Cody? Uh, so it's a seven game set. Game two is Thursday at Candlestick Park. Friday's game will be at Dodger Stadium. Saturday will be at Angel Stadium. Sunday, game five, if necessary, will be at Petco. Game six will be Monday at the Oakland. Coliseum in Game 7 will be Tuesday at Oracle Park. Wow. Great. That's great. That's, that's moving it around, but keeping it in California, it's going to go 7. I, I, I predict it to go 7. I, I'd, be surprised if, uh, I'd be surprised if it goes from 4. I really would. Just because there's, there's too much talent on both sides for any one team to be able to sweep in four games. So we'll if, see. I, I'll, I'll be interested. So next – so, Cody, at, when, when is the final, uh, if necessary, Game 7? It would be Tuesday, so next week at, uh, at Oracle Park. So next Tuesday. So by the time we talk again, it'll be over. Yeah, uh, either way, okay, even, even if there's a sweep or yeah. not yet. By next Tuesday, it'll be over. Okay, good. Well, that'll be fun. That'll be fun to see because, uh, man, those are some great teams, Downey. That's some great teams. Uh, and I, I, w- I would pay a lot of money to watch those games just to – just to see the talent and really try to find some way to get autographs because, you know, the way I like to see autographs and, and you've got the Hall of Famers there and the greatest players ever play the game in one park. That's tremendous. Yeah, I think at this point, if we could get a, uh, an autograph from Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio, I think it'd be worth a little bit. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got one from each of them. So, <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm looking at my Ted Williams right now. Matter of fact, I have two. Maybe I'll give you one, Tony. Hey, uh, Foss, if we did an all-Illinois team, are you behind the dish? Uh, I don't know. Do you have the names? I have no clue. I don't either. I don't either. I, I, I don't – it would not be anything close to, to California, northern, southern California. No, nothing close. I mean, there's some, there's some great players perhaps that come out of uh, Illinois, but I couldn't tell you right now who, but um, – I know I was proud to grow up there and to spend time in the big leagues and be talking to you guys right now because uh, without baseball, oh, I wouldn't be doing that right now. So that's that's what I enjoy growing up in Southern Illinois and Marion and getting a chance to play and going on to play professional baseball and continue my career broadcasting. So it's been fun. It, that's why this was a lot of fun, especially hearing those names. Because, see, I, I was a baseball card collector, as you know, plus in addition to autographs as time went on. And so to, to be able to – put together those players and baseball cards and then hopefully get some autographs. I mean, that, that's special to be able to, uh, to do that because those are fun times. Remember we were talking last week about guys and autographs. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that they, I think the Kansas City Royals put up six signatures and they said, try to figure out who they are. I could not read one signature of the six. So that's unfortunately what is happening, but Ted Williams, a very, very nice signature. A lot of those guys had very, very good signatures. So that, I think, is the time, the difference. But, you know, the time is still there, probably less time in the, those eras that you're talking about versus now. 
because guys spend a lot of time at the park where they should have this pristine signature, but that's just part of it. But I, I think, I know Ted Williams, you can read it perfectly because he signs it and it looks like he takes his time to do it. And I'm sure during his time as a player or especially after uh, going to card shows and doing different things and signing his autograph, he had plenty of opportunities to try to rush through, but it looks like, at least from what I've seen, he never did that. So Chipper Jones and Tom Glavin, two Hall of Famers, they, they're they warning the current players about a public battle over money, especially during these times. But they talked about the lessons that they learned from when baseball shut down and baseball didn't have a World Series and yeah. how turned off so many people were to the game of baseball. It's almost like uh, these players were, I mean, they were, they, they were babies, right? I mean, if, if you think back then or really young men, it's like someone needs to advise these guys at a time where you've got X amount of 36, 37, whatever the, the number is now, million unemployed, and, and you're barking over money like this. It, it, it's, it's not a good look. You know, I have to agree with you 100% because I, this, this season, this year, is an aberration. This is not the norm. And so there has to be a give and take on both sides because baseball needs to come back. But I agree with you. And I, that's why I think there are times that players, they should, they should have to know the history of the game. You're talking about 1994 when baseball ended, no World Series, and it went into the 95 season. So you're exactly right. You're taking 2020 now, and, and 1994-95, so you're talking 24, 25 years ago, where a lot of these players, like you said, weren't either born or very young. But I think that's where they need to know the history of the game to know exactly what did happen and maybe talk to some players who went through those trials and tribulations. I know that, well, you know that I was a player representative for the Cleveland Indians in 1972. And, man, it was tough. It was tough because we were making nothing. And, and, you know, it just it was just part of being a player representative and being in that group of other players uh, in, in, as representatives for the clubs and then going back and talking to the players on your particular team. But the history of this great game is such that everybody should know it. And I think that's a perfect example, because like you said, in 1994, when baseball canceled the World Series, there were people who said, I will never, ever watch baseball again because of this. And I'm sure there are still people this many years later who have not seen baseball and could care less just because of what happened. And I think even more so now because of the number of people in the millions, the 30 to 40 million, the latest I've heard is about 36 million to 40 million filing for unemployment. There are people hurting. And if you want those people to come back and pay for tickets to watch baseball, they need to be able to do something. And, and it would be beneficial for everybody. For them to come back and come to an agreement instead of fighting in the press, in the public, because, you know, they were going to talk about this leading up to December of 21 when the collective bargaining agreement expires. And there was a lot of talk. There's not been, matter of fact, I think that was in 94, 95, the last time there was a work stoppage. So you look at how great baseball has been in recovering from that for that period of time. But if they do it again, especially under these circumstances, I agree with you. I think it would be devastating to both sides, and let's hope that they do come back. But what Glavin and Chipper Jones both said, I, I think is spot on, that, uh, you know, they were part of it, 
And, you know, just, just to remember what happened during that period of time. I know I was working and to have it end, I, I was devastated. I was working. Um, I don't know what we were called at the time with Comcast to NBC sports uh, or what it was, but uh, you know, it was devastating to, to wake up and find out there's no baseball. And then even worse than that, to find out that there's no postseason world series canceled. And on that, in that year, you look at 94, there's no, there's no world champion because there was not one. So, uh, you know, it's just, and that's why I always say, Tony, that in 92, 93, when the Blue Jays won back-to-back World Series, because there was not a champion in 94, they came back in 95 with the opportunity to three-peak, which it didn't happen. But, uh, but still, I agree with you. This is a tough time, and this is a time that baseball should find a way for both sides to get it together and get back on the field. Seven hours ago, the USA Today put this out. Title is Unemployment Claims May Reach 41 Million oh. in 10 Weeks as wow. U.S. Businesses Slowly Return. So, ah, oh boy. and and you got you, you got to remember this. It took some really historic stuff to get people back into baseball. Cal Ripken had to break the streak, and then you had the home run race. Whether, you know, steroid-fueled yeah. or not, everybody got back into baseball because of the home run race. I mean, it took two real historic things to get the casual fan back into baseball. And one of the reasons why baseball lost that title of our national pastime is because football just flew right by it. This is a chance for baseball to help heal the country again. And if we're talking about reopening on like July 4th, how special that will be. Come on. I, I agree. I agree hundred percent. And, and, you know, it has to be done this week because they need to get spring training part two and, and get ready for that to happen. And that's why the negotiations going on. And really, I think you have to put everything aside and, and not look at this, uh, these negotiations as being, let's say the, the collective bargain agreement, you know, you have to look at it as being something that you need to get back on the field. And I agree with you because football looks like at least, one owner said they will have fans in the stands. They will be back playing. They're going to start camp and everything. But how great would it be for baseball to say, we're coming back and we're going to play this rest of the season, whatever it might be, and postseason, and, and have October be a special time like it has always been. But, uh, but it's got to happen. And, and I think, again, I've said it all along, that this year has to be looked at as a year that's abnormal. This is an aberration. This is not what baseball is all about. This is not about negotiating and bargaining over future benefits, whatever it might be. It's about playing baseball right now to come to an agreement, get back on the field and play the game. Ray, I have never been afraid to ask you a question until now. I'm afraid to ask you this. (laughs) And I know Cody sent you the article and the article 538.com title Catcher is baseball's most endangered position. I'm scared of your response. Cody sent me the article, and I was devastated when I read it, Cody. I thank you for sending it to me, so I'm prepared for this. You know, you know what I think about catchers and all the things that that article said. How about even that a catcher doesn't have to catch the ball because if the strike zone is going to be automated, it's going to be called ball or strike regardless of whether he catches it. And now they're saying that you could steal first if the catcher doesn't catch the ball. I mean, how much can the game change and take away, especially from that? 
And, you know, the part two, I, I, you know, this, this kid from Baltimore and uh, featured in that article about his power and how he's become a very good hitter and he has a strong arm. Well, you know, right now, and you've, you've heard me talk about how disappointed I am to see catchers down on one knee trying to give a low target. You can give a low target. As a matter of fact, after someone watched the 74 game that I caught in game one, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but someone said to me, wow, you got down low to give a low target. I did that without getting down on one knee. You don't have to do that. So let's say now they're saying analytically, you're not going to have as much base running, as many guys stealing bases. You don't tell me, Donnie and Cody, that if that continues with guys getting on one knee, you're going to see teams utilizing the stolen base again. And, and I just don't believe that you can possibly enough being down on one knee to catch the ball, come up off your knee and throw because that split less than a second is enough time for the base stealer or base runner to steal the bag either second or third. So there's a lot of things that I disagree with that because even though, uh, you know, to me, framing has always been a negative because if you catch the ball correctly, it's not framing, it's catching the ball correctly. You can take more strikes out of the strike zone by catching it improperly than you do in trying to take a ball that's borderline, keeping it in the strike zone by framing it. it you know, catching has changed. But to me, framing what I caught and, and, and my peer group caught, it was a matter of catching the ball correct way. And you did that, and you kept the ball in strike zone. I remember, and I've, I've said before, Kenji Jojima, when he used to play for the Seattle Mariners, everything he caught was, if he caught it, it was going down, and he used the ground to smother the ball in his catcher's mitt. And it got to the point that the umpire, it wasn't a matter of framing. It was a matter of he took strikes out of the strike zone, and the umpire finally said to him in a particular game, I think it was against the A's, he said, I can't give you pitcher strikes if you keep doing that because you're taking what is a strike out of a strike zone. And Jamie Moyer was the pitcher who relied on finesse, hitting the target, keeping the ball down low on the outside, the inside corner. He could not afford with his lack of velocity to throw the ball in the middle of the plate because he'd get killed. And, and I remember talking to him and I said, Jamie, your catcher took all those strikes out of the strike zone. And it got to the point that the A's from their dugout where Young said, that's not a strike, because they saw the end result. They didn't see where the ball crossed the plate. They saw where Jojima used his mitt to stop the ball. So there's a case where framing was totally out of the picture. It was more of him taking strikes out of the strike zone. All that article told me, Tony, was that if you change the game that much, do you take the insignificance or make the catching position insignificant, then you're going to hurt the team because that pitcher is still going to rely on a target from a catcher. He's still going to rely on calling the game. He's still going to rely on the catcher blocking balls in the dirt and throwing out base runners, making the play at the plate. I don't care who calls the strikes, but if, there, if I were an umpire, I would say, why are you doing this to me? You're taking everything that I've worked my whole life for, and you're turning it into a computer to make the strike zone automated because maybe somebody doesn't like the way I call a strike. Every umpire has their own strike zone. So as those four umpires rotate, every one of those guys gets behind the plate, say in a four-game series, everybody's behind the plate, three game, then three guys are there. They all have different strike zones, the way they set up, the way they call balls and strikes. So to me, long answer to your question, but the bottom line, you cannot take away the importance of a catcher at any point in time. 
Ray, what's the one stat in your scorebook no one else has? Catcher's blocks. Because the importance, and I still hope, I still hope that one day, statistically, and you see the, the pack of stats that are given out every day, they have everything in the world in there, but they don't have catcher's blocks. They have wild pitchers and pass balls, but why don't you give the catcher credit? So I do that, and that's why I'm marked down, and I've had catchers come to me and say, man, you know, how many did I block? And I said, I'll tell you, and I go back and count them. Because I put down, to me, Tony, anytime the ball's in the dirt, it's a blocked ball. Because that ball does not necessarily have to be caught. I had one official scorer call a pass ball on the catcher when the ball hit the dirt. And I questioned him. He said, he should. I said, no, don't, no, don't tell me that. I said, yes, maybe he should have, but he didn't. And because the ball hit the dirt, it's a wild pitch. Because you're going to give me an error if I throw the ball to second or to third on an attempted steal. And if it's in the dirt, and sure, it should have been caught by the infielder. It's not. Ball goes in the outfield. I'm going to get an E2. So the same applies to a catcher. So, yes, catcher's blocks. And I have a catcher's blocks with runners at first and second to advance to second or third. And I have blocks or a catcher when the ball is blocked when there's a runner at third. So, in essence, you're preventing a runner from getting in a scoring position when he's on first or second. He's already in scoring position second, but he, at third he could score on a ground ball, fly ball, whatever. But when he's at third base and a catcher blocks the ball, and he gets down and dirty, and he goes through what he has to do to help his pitcher have the confidence to throw a pitch in the dirt, knowing that that pitcher realizes that he has to do that, and the catcher's going to block it. That's what it's about. Sonny Gray, Tony, went to the New York Yankees, and with uh, Sanchez, the catcher. Sanchez is more of an offensive catcher. When Sanchez caught Sonny Gray, he couldn't block his curveball. And for Sonny to have success, he had to throw that curveball that looked like it's a strike. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's in the dirt. Well, if you're not blocking them, what is he going to do? He's going to elevate the pitch because he doesn't want the wild pitch. So he elevates it. It gets creamed. It gets crushed. And there it is. But Sanchez hits a home run. Everything's forgotten. But it does not help your pitcher. I throw those names out there. I don't like to do that. But I know in those specific cases, and that happened, and I saw it firsthand. And I talked to a friend of mine in New York. I said, you've got Sonny Gray. And they said, great. I said, you better have a catcher that can catch his curveball. Stephen Vogt could do that. He would give up his body. He would throw his body in front of a baseball that, that Sonny Gray threw in the dirt to block it. And he blocked so many. Sure, there were some wild pitches. But you think over the course of the time that he pitched, how many were in the dirt, how few wild pitches there were compared to blocks, it was a tremendously different number. On your way out here, Ray, we've been talking to the big three today. What's your fondest memories of the big three? You know, I told Cody and, and I, I the, the three-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks prior the weekend prior to the All-Star break in 2001, all three pitched against the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks had zero chance. Now, they won the World Series against the Yankees. And Kurt Schilling said to Mark Mulder at the golf tournament in the offseason, well, I'm glad we didn't have to face you guys in the World Series. We would never have won because those guys were so good. They were, I mean, Barry Zito, what he did for the Giants, what is it, 2010, getting them, winning a big game to get the World Series. But Mulder, they were all different types of pitchers. I remember, I think it was 2000, and the final game is game 161, final game of the season. I say that because 162 was a makeup game in St. Petersburg, Florida, against the Tampa Bay Rays called the Devil Rays at the time. Tim Hudson said, and I remember him saying it because Catfish Hunter 
when we asked him, how many runs do you need today? He said, I'll oh, give me a couple. That'll be enough. Well, Tim Hudson said, give me one. That's all I need. Jason Giambi didn't even pack because if the A's had lost to the Texas Rangers, they would have had to flown to St. Petersburg to play the Rays a one game, basically, to determine what was going to happen. But Tim Hudson said, give me one run. Jason Giambi didn't pack. But those three guys, I mean, if, if it ever worked out to where all three pitched in the same series like they did against the Diamondbacks in 2001, I would put everything on those three pitchers. And in that particular series, they all won and they had no – I mean, Diamondbacks didn't have a chance. They really did not have a chance. It was almost like, okay, you did this. I'm going to do better than you, and then I'm going to do better than you. And they just got better and better as that three-game series went to the point they swept them, and the Diamondbacks did nothing. So great memories of those three guys, but they were very, very good pitchers. And uh, it's just too bad they didn't have a couple world championships under the belt because they were good enough that they could have done that. Foss, always great having you on Wednesday. Be safe. You too, my friend. Cody, you guys are doing great. I mean, seriously, to to get all those interviews, I'll say it going out, that you guys are great, and the fans of the Oakland A's have to really enjoy because tremendous history in the Oakland Athletics. And you guys are bringing back some of that history and letting them hear it. And I think it's admirable for what you guys are doing. So continued success on both of your parts. See you next week, Foss. Look forward to it as always. Have a good week, guys. The great Ray Fossey. Coming up next, Tim Hudson will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. Yeah, Eduardo, friend of the program. Bob Nightingale on Twitter. I don't know how long ago this was, but there are no bargaining sessions with MLB and the union today as players and agents instead talk about MLB's economic proposal and next steps. There is no hard deadline, but if the two sides reach an agreement by June 6th, so we got time, their season could start by July 4th weekend. So we got about a week because June 6th would be what, uh, next Saturday, I think, because the first is Monday. So we got about a week and a half now for Got time. We got time. If you get a chance, whenever we're playing Hudson, check out Trevor Bauer's tweet. Uh, he won at Scott Boris. Hey, uh, could you make a case for Tim Hudson Hall of Fame? He won, what, 222 games, if I'm not mistaken? A war of 57.9? It's a pretty good war. 200, he won 228. No one's going to win 300 games again for a while. Um, unless somehow... Verlander gets there at age 37, but it doesn't seem likely. It all comes back to the, was he the best, was he one of the best pitchers for during a seven, seven year stretch? And I can argue. Never, I, never, never won the Cy. He was an all-star. I mean, he went 20 and six one year and was second in the Cy Young voting. I mean, Messina never won a Cy Young and he got into the Hall of Fame. And I like, I like Moose, but that's not, that's not going to be a thing. Like he never won a Cy Young and he never struck out 300 batters. But he got to the he got to the Hall of Fame, so I think this is that's a good case for for some other guys going forward. I want to say maybe with Hudson, I can't say definitive yes or no. Uh, I I would lean probably towards no, just because of the no size. But I, but I, then I, again, I I I 
I, I agree with you. I just had to throw it out there. All right, in Oakland, he was 92-39. and 39. That's a 702 winning percentage. That's dominant. Former All-Star for your Oakland Athletics, here is Tim Hudson. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of the great right-handers in Oakland A's history, a four-time All-Star, a World Series champion, led the American League in wins in 2000. He was the NL Comeback Player of the Year in 2010, and truly an all-around great athlete baseball player, what he did at Auburn. Tim Hudson is with us here on A's Cast Live. Huddy, how are you? Man, I'm great. I'm great. How are y'all doing? Uh, we're, we're, we're starting to open up here in California, starting to feel a little bit better and, uh, really hoping that we're going to get baseball going here real soon. Yeah. You and me both, man. I'll be glad when guys are able to put the uniform back on and take the field, but get some kind of normalcy back in this world. Right. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I view baseball as the one sport that is every single day. People can look forward to it every single day as much as I enjoy. I mean, I love watching Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson play against each other with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. But that, that, that's a one-off. NASCAR is a one-off. What baseball, and like you did in your career, it's every day. And I think that is something that I think everybody, even people who aren't big baseball fans, would be looking forward to every day. Just, just to get away from everything that's happening. Yeah, you know, I mean, baseball is a way of life. You know, they call it America's pastime for a reason. and. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be good to get everybody back out there. And, you know, I've always enjoyed watching the, you know, the throwback baseball games and, and, you know, some of the games in the eighties and nineties, but I'm going to tell you what, man, I got kind of tired of them in the last, in the last month or so. I'm ready for some, some up-to-date baseball. Yeah, no doubt about it. At first, yeah, it's great. It's like, hey, it's a game from 1978, but it's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ready to get going here. Um, what can you tell me? I mean, you were named pitching coach for the Auburn Tigers, your alma mater. Uh, what has that been like for you? Is that you get the gig, and then now we don't have baseball. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we I, I got the job in, in January. Uh, the, the pitching coach at, uh, that was at Auburn had gotten a head coaching job at Tennessee Tech, and uh, Coach Thompson offered me the job, and, and – uh, you know, it was a great opportunity. I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it was kind of like drinking water out of a fire hose to begin with. Um, you know, the first, the night before my first day, I was found myself on the internet looking at roster names and pictures of the kids, trying to match the names of faces. Um, but it was, uh, you know, here we are. You know, it's the uh, first day of, of practice, and and uh, by the way, we start our first game in about 35 days. So let's. Uh, Let's get to know these boys and, 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 and get them ready to play. And it's been a good transition, man. I, I've, uh, you know, it's uh, the program is, is on the up and up, coming off of a World Series, College World Series appearance the year before. And I uh, got a couple of pretty high draft picks that are probably going to go on a draft this year. So it was, I was, um, I walked into a pretty good situation. So we're, we're, we're kind of similar in age, and I, I played baseball here at San Jose State, uh, obviously you at Auburn. Uh, so we're kind of the same era. How different are the college baseball players from our era to the guys you're coaching now? Uh, you know what? They're, they're bigger. They're bigger and stronger. Uh, kids 
man, the kids throw a lot harder. It's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I guess just the, the athlete, you know, generation to generation just, just keeps getting a little better, a little faster, a little stronger. Um, you know, these kids are, I mean, they're showing up, man. They're, they're polished. They're, they're, they're really polished. Um, and, you know, really ahead of the game. It's one of those things where I look back at some of these guys right now and I don't even know if I would have gotten drafted if I would have, if I would have thrown the, the repertoire I had back in 96 and 97 nowadays. Um, you know, but these kids, man, they're, you know, and I don't know if a lot of that has to do with, you know, being really sports specific from such a young age. A lot of these kids are, 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 uh, are playing football only or baseball only from about 12 years old on. And um, with that comes a, a, a better a better player in that sport just because with the practice and the repetition. and um, But also with that comes a little bit more wear and tear with that sport. You know, I think that's why a lot of kids may, you know, be a little – successful to injury at a younger age nowadays than they were back, say, in the 80s or 90s. You know, when you were playing, at what point in your career did you just start to look around going, man, we got not one guy throwing 100. We've got multiple guys throwing 100. Everybody coming out of the bullpen now is throwing 97, 98. When did you notice this extreme change in velocity? You know, I'd say probably – Mm, I'd say maybe the uh, mid 2005, 2008, 2010s. Um, you know, when we first came up in the early 2000s, 99, 2000, you'd have one guy in a bullpen that'd rush it up there, 95 plus, uh, maybe two, maybe three. You know, if it was a, you know, if it was a, a, a bigger market team, and um, you know, you had a lot more guys that were, you know, more, you know, command guys and change of speed, specialty type of pitchers coming out of the pen. Um, and even the, like the four and five guys in the rotation were, were similar kind of, kind of arms. Um, you know, and then it just seemed like once, you know, the era of the, the bigger, stronger, faster, throw harder athlete got to the big leagues and, you know, it was, uh, it was, it became a power game. And, um, you know, that's the way the game's gone. And, and, uh, you know, it's exciting. It really is exciting. There's a lot of, you know, who doesn't like looking up at the screen and seeing a, you know, 100-mile-an-hour fastball or, you know, somebody hitting the ball, you know, 470 feet. Um, you know, that's what, uh, you know, that's what brings the ratings in. So that's what puts the seats, butts in the seat. Um, you know, but, you know, as far, you know, the, the day of the one nothing, you know, pitcher's duel, you know, crafty, crafty right-hander or crafty left-hander out there, it's, I don't know, you know, those are probably days of the past. And, it, you know, what's probably crazier than just talking about how there's such great velocity. It's how these hitters now square it up. It's like it's it's unbelievable that these guys, they're, they're taking a 101-mile-an-hour fastball and putting it in the seats. Yeah, but, you know, it's you can't hardly get anything by them. You know, they're just, you know, the, the one thing that has changed a lot over the last probably eight to ten years is the, you know, because these velocities are, are you know, they're, they're creeping up to the mid to upper 90s sometimes triple digits is there's a lot more fastballs being thrown up in the zone. Um, you know, so it's, you know, with that comes mistakes over the middle of the plate and elevate a little bit that, you know, these guys can, can barrel up. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, some of these guys, man, they just, you know, it doesn't matter if you shoot it out of a cannon, they're going to catch up to it. And, um, 
but you know these a lot of these big arms these big 100 mile an hour arms or mid to upper 90s you know they usually have a pretty good pretty good hard power breaking ball to go with it and you know that's that will keep those guys somewhat honest with that fastball but uh, but you know it is amazing nowadays how you know guys with such good arms how often they want to throw their breaking ball it's it's a pitch that you know, if you have that arm strength and arm speed, it seems like the breaking balls spin that much harder and the breaking balls are that much better. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty fun to watch. Um, you know, it kind of drives me crazy a little bit how, you know, the, the lack of command isn't there quite like it was back, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But the stuff is, you know, off the charts better, I, I think. You know, throughout your career, you are a workhorse, and especially for the Oakland A's, when I'm looking at years where 32 starts, 35 starts, 34, 34, uh, there was a lot of pride for you to go over 200 innings and take the ball every five days. What was your time like with the Oakland Athletics? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, you know, that was, uh, you know, obviously my first chance to, to have, a, have an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues, and, um, you know, I, I couldn't have gotten into a, you know, drafted into a better situation with an organization that was going to give young guys opportunities to, to get to the big leagues, opportunities to get their feet wet, um, you know, and, and playing for a manager like Art Howe was, was uh, it was the perfect scenario for not only me, but, any, you know, all, all the younger guys that came up through our organization. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. It, we had a great time, um, you know, learning how to be big leaguers together. and. Um, you know, it was it was truly a, a, a special span of about five or six years for us. I feel like I still feel like there was a couple of years that we were the best team in baseball. We just couldn't quite get past the the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Twins a couple of times. But um, you know, you look back and you know up and down those rosters and you look at the names and it's like, man, you scratch your head. How, how in the world did we not win a World Series with with, with that bunch? But um, you know, at the time, I just don't know that we quite realized how good we were. Um, you know, we were so young and, and inexperienced. It was easy to use that ex- inexperience as a little bit of an excuse, I think. But, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a special group. That was always a, you know, a special time in my life. And, and uh, I look back on it now and, you know, it puts a smile on my face. You know, we're talking to your teammates today, Barry Zito and Mark Mulder, and we've done a deep dive of those years. And of course, the 20 game winning streak, the big three, you guys were special and you fed off each other. What was what was that like back then? And what is the relationship like now with these guys? Well, you know, I, I tell you what, I don't any, I don't think any of us would have had nearly as good of a career if we didn't have that opportunity to pitch with each other. Uh, to push each other, to to compete against each other. You know, it's you know you look at all the great pitching staffs in baseball, and and you know whether it's three or four guys on a staff. You know they 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 want to. Everybody wants to be the best on on their team. Everybody wants to be the best on their staff. And when you have a guy that you know like Mulder and a guy like Zito who take a lot of pride in their craft and 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 they believe that they are the best, not only pitcher on on their team but in the league at times, you know, it's only going to make everybody around you better. You know, it's the old saying, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we didn't want to be, I, I know I never wanted to be the weak link of the bunch. And, and, and you know, our, our standard that we set as a staff and, 
and for us three and you know in particular was was pretty high you know I, I think uh any given year you know you go into spring training and and uh, if you ask either one of us you know what were our goals for that season and uh, probably to a man would say hey you know I, I want to win the Cy Young and uh, you know, I want to win 20 games. I want to make the all-star team. And, and with that is going to come a lot of success for our baseball team. And, um, you know, honestly, it was a realistic goal for, for you know, any of us. Did you get a chance and did you know that Barry Zito was the rhino on the mass Singer? <laughs> no. No, you know what? I hadn't had a chance to see it yet, but I heard about it. And uh, totally – Took me by surprise. One of my buddies told me, "It's like, dude, you're not going to believe who was on the Masked Singer show. Is that what it's called, the Masked Singer?" Yes. But it was, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, that's just typical Zito fashion, right there. I mean, I wish. I mean, that, that was something that he probably could have pulled off when in our playing days, and it would have gone over, you know, awesome. And uh, but I can't wait to check it out. I, I know it's something that's, you know, that's. Uh, that's his life right now. You know, he was a, you know, unbelievable pitcher and unbelievable teammate. Now he's in the in the music industry, and it's been fun to watch him shift gears a little bit. You know, what, what, what's amazing is he's known as a songwriter. We know he can sing, but I mean, this is a this is a singing competition, and to go as deep as he did, that's impressive. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I've you know I've heard him sing a little bit back in the early two thousands, and and you know, it was it, it was almost a mix between cats crying and, and fingernails down the chalkboard. So <laughs> he must have gotten a little better since then. Huddy, it's always great to catch up with you. Uh, A's fans loved you. You were a bulldog. You were great for the A's. You had a wonderful career. And once SEC baseball gets going again, we'd love to talk to you. And good luck uh, with, with, with your alma mater. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy it. Really, really good guy. And like I said, I mean, you look at his A's career, you look at his career with the Atlanta Braves. He was special. He was a bulldog and not a big guy. You know, and as as the game has changed where it seems like everybody's, uh, Ken Rosenthal had that great article, like, Everybody's the same now, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, throwing 98 miles an hour. And he had that split, and he was tough. And I have nothing but respect, Commander, for that guy. Right before we went to his interview, you were throwing out his numbers with the A's as wins. And makes you wonder, does Tim Hudson get into the Oakland Athletics Hall of Fame? Oh, no doubt. I was thinking about that. I mean, yeah, I think he's one of the guys you put in, in the next couple of years. After winning close to 100 games with the organization before he went to Atlanta, it's pretty special for what he did. And you're right, he was a bulldog. He was a, he was never the biggest. He was then never threw the hardest. But he he was like a it's a I mean a big comparison, but he kind of runs because of the nickname. But he kind of reminds me of Greg Maddox. He was a guy that kind of hit the spots, and he wasn't a big, he wasn't going to overpower you, but he just knew how to pitch to spots. And he was I mean they had the same build. I mean Maddox got Maddox got a little chubbier as he got older, just just a little bit. But uh, he, I mean, the, Maddox pitching in the 90s and early 2000s and watching Hudson from the early 2000s up to the, the middle of the aughts, uh, it was great to watch. Just, you know, even when he, he gets the World Series ring with the Giants, which is great, he got a World Series ring. And, um, 
it was great to watch. It was great to watch him and Zito pitch on that that game in o- in Oakland when Zito came back and pitched that final game. So that was one of the cool memories I remember going to watch in person. Well, coming up here, and I'm going to throw it out on Twitter at Townsend Radio. I found a GIF of the Rhino, and not just any Rhino, but a special Rhino. Barry Zito, the math singer, is going to join us. As we told you, today is about the big three. So we've had Mulder, we've had Hudson, and you think about how dominant Barry Zito was at one point. I don't know why he he lost it, you know, and it's he talks about it in his book, and you know things change in life. But I mean, you 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 look at Barry Zito's career, and the year he won the Cy Young Award, he was twenty three and five, made thirty five stuff. This is when men were men. Zito, look, look at his starts, 35, 35, 35, 34, 35, 34. I mean, these guys took the ball every five days, and they were huge. Uh, how about Zito, eight years in Oakland, 102 wins, 63 losses. He was actually – he was on track. I mean, if he stays in Oakland – or if if the Oakland Barry Zito goes over to San Francisco, we could be talking about him potentially being a Hall of Famer. But he went 102 and 63 in Oakland and then fell off to 63 and 80 in San Francisco. A completely different guy. It really is hard to believe. I looked at his one looked after he left the A's in his final year. He never pitched over 200 innings again. He came close. He had 199 and a third innings pitch, I think, in 2010. But he never went over 200 innings again after he did it with the A's, you know, from every, pretty much every year he was a starter and started over 30 games. Yeah, you look, from 2001 through 2006, he had over 210 innings every year. And then his highest with the Giants was 199 and a third in 2010. The uh the year they left him off the uh, postseason roster, if I'm not mistaken, for the uh, when they won their first World Series. So he had that big game he pitched for them in the World Series in 2012. And but yeah, I, I always remember Zito as a uh, as an Oakland A for that devastating 12-6 curveball. Yeah, and he had the great changeup, and it was just so natural. And you know, the the big three they were all different. Styles were different. Personalities were different. But it really shows how human beings feed off of each other in competition. You know, we just got done with the last dance. Look how great Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were together as a team and how they fed off of each other. You know, they talk about lineups can go, can get hot, lineups can get cold. It's just, it's how human beings work. You know, all of a sudden, you're challenging yourself every day, going, man, Mulder yesterday went eight, or Huddy went seven. I, I, I can't go five. No one wants to be the weak link. Coming up next, the Rhino, Barry Zito. The 2002 American League Cy Young Award winner is next right here on A's Cast Live. 
Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. It's only 95 degrees out right now here in the South Bay. That's it? It feels a lot That's warmer. It. Well, I'm actually chilly. I'm going to have to go put on a sweatshirt because of uh, the great working di- conditions I've provided myself with my air conditioner out here in my studio. It's chilly. Yeah, well, we have the air conditioning running in our apartment, but uh, Leia, our dog, uh, if I close the door, if you notice at one point during the show, I walked away to go open the door behind us to the balcony because she scratches at the door to go outside. As soon as you open it, she goes out for a second and goes, eh, it's too hot. I'm coming back in. And there's uh, there's a waste of five – there's a waste of about – 50 seconds of my day right there by opening the door for her. But it, so when I, when, I, when I walk out of my studio, it is so hot in my garage. But inside my little studio, got the got the uh, Toshiba AC running, and it's very cool. I'll just never forget when we first started doing the show from there last, around this time last year. We're, we're hitting oh. – coming up on a year, but uh, it, was, it was almost like uh, leaving the gym when I went to the gym in college. And I uh, have to go and take a shower every time. <laughs> then you got the air conditioner and life that, changed. I provided you with a state-of-the-art Home Depot portable air conditioner. And then life changed that for the better. Cost me like 500 bucks. Um, yeah, our, our one-year anniversary is coming up. It's the 28th, right? Yeah, tomorrow. So we have put an anniversary special together for you, or we've taken some of the best interviews of the biggest names in the sport and Cody did a great job with it, so that's going to be on A's cast, and that starts tomorrow? Yeah, it'll be running tomorrow. One, so we usually replay the show tomorrow at 1 o'clock from 1 to 4 tomorrow before our game replay. So tomorrow it's going to be the best of the year of A's cast live leading into one of the A's wins from last year. I think it's going to be the 55th win of next year of last year, if I'm not mistaken, because I think today is the – let me just double-check. Today is the 59th, so tomorrow will be the 60th win of the season for the A's. So, but Ace Cast Live Best of the Year will be played from 1 to 4 tomorrow. And it will also be on our podcast website. I'll put that up probably early tomorrow morning. Well, Barry Zito is a special guy. Does a lot for a lot of people. And earlier today, we caught up with the 2002 American League Cy Young Award winner, also better known as The Rhino. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, forget that he was the American League Cy Young Award winner in 2002 and he led the American League in wins. Forget he's a World Series champion, a three-time All-Star. He's one of the stars of the Mass Singer. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rhino is with us, the great Barry Zito. Barry, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I got to tell you, I, you know, because last time we talked when you were in Oakland, we were talking about you as a songwriter, and we know we, we we know you play the guitar and you sing, but you you got deep into this competition. You got to be proud of yourself. It was a lot of fun, man. I had a I had such a good time with the challenge of it all, and I think that was just you know my mindset going in was just have fun and and do your best, man, and embrace the challenge. It was it was really challenging, um, and I was actually pretty surprised I made it that far, but. You know, good things happen when you just when you just uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself, I guess. You know, there became a point, like no one had any idea that Gronk was doing this. No one had any idea Tony Hawk was doing this. But all of a sudden, there was a point in the competition that it was out there going, 
we think the rhino is Barry Zito. How, how, how tough is it to keep secret of who you are underneath that costume? Yeah, I mean, well, on the set, you mean, or just between friends? Just between friends, and it's starting to get out there on the Internet that they think it's you, and they're trying to guess who you are. Yeah, that you know, that you got to kind of play the game, play along, and there was definitely, you know, some former teammates that were texting me and asking me what was going on there, and, um, you know, you just kind of, the art of, uh, you know, deflection, I guess. Just be like, oh, wow, that's a cool show, man. I've, I've never seen that show. I got to check that out. Is, you know, what, what channel is it on or what time is it, what time is it on? And when you're in a singing competition, which we've learned over the years, you know, uh, American Idol or The Voice, that the judges always talk about right song selections. You got to have the right song for you. So what was that like knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses and picking the right songs to keep you in the competition? Yeah, I mean, song choice is everything. Um, I didn't want to be scared and just try to go to what what it was comfortable. I mean, the whole reason I went on there was to to grow and to be uncomfortable and to challenge myself. So, you know, I, I did sing a lot of the kind of more stripped down, kind of countryish, singer songwritery songs. You know, emotional, uh, which is more, more of my comfort zone. But I got to sing a few pop songs, and I definitely had to persuade the show to let me do that because I think they knew that was out of my comfort zone too. But um, I think that was my biggest you know, Victory was singing some of these songs, Jonas Brothers and Niall Horan and uh, and even this old Elvis version of the, uh, You Lost That Love and Feeling. I mean, th- those are the ones that I really love because it was stuff that I'm not used to doing. You know, it's been so fun to watch you grow, you know, because, you know, guys, you know, once they retire, it's like, uh, I got a lot of money, but what do I do? What are my hobbies? What do I get into? And you've really started a second career and, and, and moving to Nashville. How is the songwriting going for you? It's been great. I mean, I always wanted to go into music full time. Um, and, you know, it's just crazy how kind of I just ended up in Nashville, which is I had definitely no plans for that. But, uh, yeah, I, I wrote songs here uh, consistently and then took some time off to write my book and then now have you know, finally built my studio in my house, really getting into what I truly love and have wanted to do, which is music production um, and pairing that with the songwriting. So it's quite a steep learning curve, music production. Um, and you have to be very kind of self-starter and, and focused because there's no boss, you know, telling you that you got to come into the studio today. Uh, and so that's been a new challenge, certainly. But um, I'm having the best time. You know, I'm, I got some new music planned on coming out later this year, which has a little bit of a different sound and more, I think my sound that I've wanted to have for years. So, you know, you grew up in a music family and you're now chasing that dream. What's it like for you to write a song and then have a professional singer sing it. And it just sounds great. What, what is that fulfillment like? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been cool. You know, I've, I don't, I haven't gotten any, you know, huge cuts, but I had a couple, you know, small cut, smaller cuts. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the whole game out here is writing songs, getting them cut by artists. Um, and that really is, you know, that really is a, a huge fulfillment. I mean, if you can write a song that, that makes an impact on somebody emotionally or, um, you know, even might bring them to tears or something like that, that that's really cool. And I think it's all about that process of birthing, you know, the song. If you're in it and emotional and feeling it when you write it, then other people are going to feel it. But, you know, if you're not really connected to it, then a lot of times it won't um, it won't make that you know, emotional impact on the listener. 
the book, and when, when it came out, we had you on Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. Now that the book has been out, what has it been like for you to be an author, and how has this book changed you? You know, for me, I think we've just gotten some feedback, you know, through my website and stuff. People, you know, send in their emails and their reflections. I think for me, it's just fulfilling to know that people are able to see kind of the other side of a, of a story of, you know, you just, you hold up these athletes and these people and these high regard celebrities and things like that. But at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all struggling. We all want to know that we're enough and that we have, you know, what it takes um, to do what we need to do. And, um, and so it's been really cool reading some of the feedback from uh, the readers, you know, knowing that this might be able to help their teenage kid or, you know, basically what I wanted to hear when I was a kid, you know, was that, hey, you know, even if you don't win today, you're still enough. And uh, I think that's a message we can all relate to. You know, you have been about helping people for a long time. I think of strikeouts for troops. We've talked to you about that. I think opening yourself up is, is never easy, but you did it to help other people. What has it been, you know, in your career that you always feel you need to give back and help, need to help others? Well, I mean, you know, it's funny. Early in my career, I I, uh, I didn't always feel that way. I think I, you know, I had a sense of entitlement and, uh, you know, baseball was kind of, I was exploiting it in a lot of ways for my own egotistical needs to be important and, you know, uh, adored, approved of, all that kind of stuff, you know. But um, later in my career, I really started to feel grateful for all the, the talents and the and the gifts and the uh, even just my health, you know, those kind of things. And so there's so many people that don't have those things. And there's people that, that you know, that do. We, we need to help, you know. We need to uh, realize that we really, uh, in a lot of ways, we didn't earn a lot of the things we have and take credit for. I mean, yeah, we worked hard, uh, but these things are kind of showered on us. And uh, I think just having that perspective that, you know, I can't really take credit for a lot of things that are happening in my life. So I need to kind of, you know, look up to the sky and be grateful and say, I, I don't truly understand why, uh, you know, I have the things I do, but there's so many that don't. You can get the book Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can just you can just Google Barry Zito book, but the book is Curveball: How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. You know, today is the big three day, so we've had Mulder, we've had Hudson on, and now we have you on. And we've looked back at, at your guys' time. You guys were young. You guys were talented. I know it was a special time for all three of you in your guys' lives. What was it like being around those two and how the three of you pushed each other? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I wish I had more perspective at the time. I, I didn't really know much different. I mean, right when I came up, Mulder and Huddy were already there. Um, you know, Huddy had come up in 99 and Mulder and I played AAA together for a little bit. And he came up about three or four months before me. And so we kind of already had that kinship even just in spring training and, uh, and, you know, playing in the minor leagues together. Uh, but when it all kind of gelled together in the big leagues and, and our performances, you know, cumulatively were, were getting things done on the field. I mean, it, it was, it was really interesting to see that whole thing uh, kind of evolve into the big three, as they called it, you know, cause we were just kind of three kids coming up, but um, it was, it was, it was cool. And it was different because we were, totally different guys you know Mulder was a Chicago guy kind of a a natural athlete could do anything and Huddy was 
you know, this scrappy kind of, you know, not super big. And, um, you know, I watched Huddy play in the college world series on TV in 97. And so, you know, we just all had these crazy different backgrounds and, uh, that's, what's cool about sports. You know, you can get guys from really all over the world and they come together and they do special things, uh, as a team. You know, and looking back on the streak, the 20 straight wins, Mulder, it was so interesting talking to him about it where he goes, you know, no one was really paying attention to it because there was almost labor strife, right? I mean, you guys were looking as a union uh, to, to walk away versus the owners, and luckily it got settled. And you guys were like, had won like 14 or 15 straight at that point, but no one was paying attention. And then all of a sudden it became a national story. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I don't. I, uh, I didn't immediately remember that. But it, actually, I was the union rep. Uh, I remember I was a union rep for our team for many years there. And so I was kind of getting interviewed now that you say it. I remember people asking about the um, the work stoppage possibly. And of course, you know, the 90, what was it, 94, 95 season, I think there was a, a major work stoppage. Um, and yeah, we were rolling, man. We were in first place and, uh, you know, we won, I think, 100 games that year. And so for me, you know, it was kind of trying to figure out, you know, how to keep getting it done on the field. But really on a union level, you know, is this season even going to end? I mean, it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah. And, you know, all about this stuff and what we're dealing with right now. We're hoping we're going to get an 82 game season. But, you know, there, there's negotiations right now between the players union and the owners and how is how, how are you going to get compensated? How are you going to get compensated with no fans in the stands? What if, if, if they came to you and asked for the players union and some players came to you and asked for your advice, what advice would you give them for these negotiations with the owners? Oh, that's tricky. Um, I would just, you know, these guys got to stay together. I mean, you know, the, the, the baseball union definitely has to gel and, and stay together, but on the same front, you know, keep, uh, keep perspective on these greater issues and know that, uh, that we really need baseball right now. I mean, I know I'm missing the game and wish I could turn the TV on and get a little distraction from all this craziness going on. I know. I, I, and you know, I got twins, as I said earlier, 14, you got young kids, uh, you and your wife, and it's just, it's just hard staying at home and and being locked down. But if we had baseball, if we could look forward to something every single day that we know at four o'clock or seven o'clock is going to be on, what a great distraction that would be for Americans. It really would, man. I think a lot of us are getting so involved in the political stuff right now um, because it's kind of the only thing on. Uh, I know that I've watched more news, you know, in the last couple of months than I probably have in the last couple of years. Um, And that's just what's, that's just what's going on. There's no sports right now. And uh, I think we're all feeling that impact. And to be honest, I think when we get a little too involved in the politics, man, it makes us a little more grouchy, (laughs) at least for me. Let's end on this. That last game between you and Huddy, you with the A's, he with the the Giants. What did that game mean to you? Um, That was a really full circle experience for me to come back and pitch in an Oakland A's uniform um, after hadn't, you know, not being with the A's for, I think it was 10 years at that point. So, um, and then having Huddy on the other side in a Giants uniform, it was all quite surreal. Um, And for me, that whole experience of getting called up to the big leagues was really surreal. Um, Certainly after I thought I was retired for, you know, a week and a half and then was asked to come pitch. So, uh, 
you know, I wish that game was uh, a little bit more of a bright spot, kind of statistically career-wise, I guess. But, um, you know, all things considered, it was a really cool experience. And, you know, I wish I could have enjoyed it more instead of had to try to get hitters out on the mound, you know, just sit back and take in all the fans and the whole uh, the whole vibe that day was incredible. The book is Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. Barry, it is always great to have you on. We really appreciate it. What we've been trying to do here is bring on familiar voices. And when you think of the big three for A's fans, uh, your voices will always be big for all these people who are listening here on A's Cast Live. So thank you so much. Be safe. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Have a good one. Great Barry Zito. And a lot, it, it, it's been great talking to these guys and, and getting into the uh, the math singer because there are rumors out there a while back that the Rhino it was him. And to make it that far in a singing competition, pretty cool. I think the name that it was either people kept thinking it was either Zito or uh, the other name that people kept thinking was uh, Tony Gonzalez, the former Cal basketball slash football player and Hall of Fame tight end from the Chiefs and Falcons. That's the one that people kept thinking that it was him. But when I first – I think it was Grant Brisby from The Athletic first threw it out there that uh, it could, it, that he thought it was Barry Zito. I was like, all right, this is interesting. So I initially reached out to Barry's agent, and they're like, yeah, he's kind of busy for the next few weeks, but he's good and uh, he's available like the last week of May. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Uh, this was back in the middle of March when I, whenever this happened. So we've well, had Barry – moving on. Yeah, we so we've had Barry booked for about two months now, two and a half months. So we we've been good to go with that. Are you ready to end this program with a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell right now with Chris Townsend on Ace Cast Live. All right. Well, first, as always, coming up next on Ace Cast. The A's 59th win on July 23rd of 2019. The A's took down the Astros in 11 innings. The Astros, remember, only lost 21 games at home last year. This is one of them. Mike Fires won seven two-thirds innings, allowing two runs. But Yasmero Petit got the got his third win of the year. Matt Olson hit his 21st home run of the season while driving in three runs in the A's victory. So A's Astros from last year will be next on A's cast. So on Sunday, it may on Sunday in 2008, Clayton Kershaw made his MLB debut with the Los Angeles Dodgers. From to, from 2008 to 2019, Kershaw is 169 and 74 with a 2.44 ERA, 2,464 Ks, and 344 starts. His ERA plus is the best ever for a pitcher with at least 2,000 career innings. It's 157 for his ERA plus, if you're wondering. He has won an MVP, three Cy Youngs, a Triple Crown, five ERA titles, and is an eight-time All-Star. Now, Don Sutton has the most wins in Dodgers history with 233. Kershaw is only 232 Ks behind Sutton for the most in Dodgers history. Koufax won 165 games. He won an MVP, blah, blah, blah. He was great. Buying or selling, Clayton Kershaw is the greatest Los Angeles Dodger of all time. Selling. I can't believe you asked that question. That's, that's blasphemy. That's why I, I ask hard-hitting questions. You're you're a hot, you're a hot take guy. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, debating who's better, Curry or or James Harden. 
Oh my God! Stop. <laughs> Who do you think are the Warriors the greatest dynasty ever in the Bay Area? Um, the greatest Dodger, and it's been voted on. Don't listen to a Dodger hater. Listen to the LA Times. They had a vote on who's the greatest Dodger of all time. Oh, and in a landslide win, it is the great Vin Scully. It's fair. I I was thinking of players, and I I should have thought of Vin because I think Kershaw is probably the greatest Dodger pitcher, Los Angeles Dodger Better pitcher. Koufax. He has more wins. That's just because he pitched longer. But Koufax, Koufax. that that five year stretch was incredible. Kershaw. If hurt, what if Hershiser never gets hurt? He doesn't hurt that shoulder. Remember, Kershaw in 1988 is, has one of the most dominant years. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you had to say, because they, they've never had a a position player that you look as an all-time great, right? I mean, who would be an all-time? I mean, when you look at all-time greats. Well, Duke, are you Duke looking? Snyder, Duke Snyder was the best center fielder when he played. Jackie was a terrific player, but I mean, you know, it's just they've never had a a Ricky Henderson. They've never had, at least in my lifetime. Well, they got a guy right now patrolling the outfield that could be their best position player of all time. Yeah, no doubt. I think if buying or selling at the end of his career, if he stays with the Dodger, he'll be the greatest Dodger. Uh, I'll say Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I'd buy that. I was waiting but for you to say buying or selling and say, yes, Mookie Betts will be the greatest Dodger ever. It would have been Mike Piazza, but they traded him away. Yeah, and I'm sure they regret that trade. But I think I'm with, I buy that it, it could be it'll be Bellinger by the time his career is over. If he stays in L.A., which I think he's going to, I don't think they're going to let him walk away. Because if you think of some of the other legendary Dodger players over the last, I don't know, 20 years, I think of – Andre Ethier, former A, uh, Matt Kemp, like those are some of the guys. Sean that, Green, Sean Green, he had the uh, what the four homer game was a couple days ago. Eric Caros, friend of the program. All right, I'm going to give you the list of Dodger Hall of Famers. Okay, and I'm not even. Some of these guys barely played for the Dodgers. They just had a cup of coffee with the Dodgers. But Duke Snyder was a great player. Like, Jim Tomei played one year. He doesn't count. Frank Robinson played one year. He didn't count. Uh, Pee Wee Reese was a great player. Mike Piazza, Eddie Murray, but he barely played. Uh, Pedro Martinez? Huh? No. Greg Maddox? No. Uh, Sandy Koufax? Yes. I mean, that's it. They've never had, like, Ricky Henderson played there for a year. Doesn't count. Gary Carter played there for a year. Doesn't count. So, They've never really, other than like Duke Snyder, had like the great Hall of Fame everyday player that played there a long time, even though we have a lot of love for Steve Garvey and Ron Say the Penguin and Davey Lopes. That was a great draft. We got to go over some. I know I've sent it to you. We got to go over some of the great drafts of all time. I, I put, I have it on there. I'll keep it on there for Friday. And you sent me the one over for the uh, every, every school's, uh, how many, the schools and how many draft picks they've had. Uh, a guy that we forgot with the Dodgers, and if they didn't let him go, could he have been the greatest Dodger ever? What about Adrian Beltre? Would he have been the greatest Dodger of all time? If he continues, like, he had the 48 homer season, leaves to go to Seattle, stinks, in, stinks it up pretty much in Seattle, goes to Boston, resurrects his career, and then he becomes a Hall of Fame player in Texas. But if he keeps up from that year in 04 when he had the 48 homers and goes through the rest of his career, does he, do you think he is the greatest Dodger of all time? Uh, if if we're saying guys stay there their entire career, 
Uh, it's going to be him or Piazza. Yeah. I mean, Piazza has the most home runs ever for a catcher. Uh, Mike Piazza is a 12-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year, 10-time Silver Slugger Award. But Peltre, the, the defense, the 3,000 hits, I'd probably have to go with him. Yes, I, I'd buy that. So this one I'd actually write down. It popped into my head, and I was reading. And we met, I mentioned Grant Brisby. And he wrote an article in The Athletic breaking down the five greatest home runs in the history of the, in the San Francisco Giants history. And I disagree with this, and I don't like talking about the Giants as much as anyone else does. But he had he had Bonds hitting 756, I think, third on the list. Uh, at number one, he had Travis Ishikawa's home run in the NLCS against the Cardinals as the top home run in San Francisco Giants history. Buying or selling Travis Ishikawa's home run is more iconic than Barry Bonds breaking the all-time home run record. What about Barry setting the all-time season uh, single season against the Dodgers on the Friday night? Yeah, like those those two should have been ahead of Ishikawa's home run to send them. But Ishikawa's was pretty big. I mean, this is uh, Bonds is an individual award, but they were records. Ishikawa, that's kind of a tough one because one's one's a team, a con, you know. To, to, to send you on because that, that that was a that sent them on to the World Series. Yeah, right? I mean if, even with the ball went up to the top of the wall, so it was they still would have won the game. But yeah, he hit it over the wall and and uh, the Giants went on to play in the World Series against twenty four uh, the Royals. Ah man, that this is a tough call because Bonds hitting seventy one and seventy two on the same night and breaking the record at home. Ah, that was a pretty big deal. Giants were going to the playoffs, so it all depends. Do you care more about going, a home run that sends you to the World Series? And as you said, they, they would have won anyway if it, if it didn't go out. I'm going to sell. I'm still going to go with Bonds because I remember how big that was. Because that was also, when we talk about baseball helping us heal, that was still after 9-11. Yeah, and I mean, he broke, he broke two records with home runs at that ballpark. And well, back then when it was was it AT and T? How long was it? Pac Bell Park? Was it? It was, was Pac Bell Park. Then it was SBC Global Park. Then it was AT and T, and now Oracle. Okay, yeah. So I mean, just back I in the day, was, uh, uh, probably was SBC at that point. Yeah, because it was early. Because the stadium opened what 2000? Because I think PNC Park opened the next year. So yeah, it would have been only in its second year. All right, last one. On this date in 2014, we saw something amazing. The Mets were hosting by Pittsburgh Pirates at City Field. And the Mets had someone throw out a first pitch. That person was Curtis Jackson, or more known on his, by his street name, 50 Cent. The Southpaw's Maybe. first pitch was just just a bit outside, as Bob Uecker would quote, as he almost hit the cameraman down the first base line on his first pitch. It could be argued as the worst first pitch ever. Other candidates include the mayor of Cincinnati, Carl Lewis, Snoop Dogg, Bruce Willis last year, and the White Sox employee who who hit the cameraman last year as well. Buying or selling 50 Cent has the worst first pitch of all time. I am so buying that. It was that was embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, he didn't hit like, Nuke Lelouch. She was. I mean, and. It, it, it was so it, it was so soft. It wasn't like it was a manly and throwing it as hard as I can, and I and I, you know, threw it against the backstop. I mean, he lot he lot. I mean, it just goes to show you. I mean, did this guy ever play catch when he was a kid? Didn't look, doesn't look like it. I mean, the mayor of Cincinnati's first pitch was really bad in two thousand seven. Uh, what's her name? The call me maybe. Oh, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen with the race. 
Oh, that was awful. Um, when Bonds broke the record, it was still Pac Bell Park. Okay, so yeah, so it wasn't even AT and T yet. That, those, I mean, don't get me wrong. The Chicago home run was great. I remember watching. I was actually working when that happened. Um, I was already upset that whole playoff anyway because they knocked the Pirates out in the first round, and we don't know happened with the A's lost to the Royals that year, so that was disappointing. So I was like, who do I root for here? And I'm like, uh, I'll root for the Cardinals. And of course, the Giants go on and win the World Series. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They knock out my team, my favorite team, then they knock out the other team I root for, and or the other team I root for loses. And now those two teams are playing each other in the World Series. That's why I rooted for the Royals. Uh, it became SBC Park in 2004. That only lasts till uh, 2005 because then AT and T bought SBC. I remember I had an email address that was sbcglobal.com. Yeah, the, people still use us, believe it or really? not. Uh, and then AT&T Park as of 2006, and now Oracle Park. All righty, are we done, or what's the deal? Yeah, we're done. We're, we're I got to head into the next game on Ace Cast, which is their What do we got on Friday? Uh, Excite. We're, we're going to have Swisherlish, Nick Swisher, and Jeff Blum right. so far. Nice. Great job today, Cody, with the big three. A uh, lot of fun with Ray Fossey and C.J. Nikowski from the Texas Rangers. Who are we previewing on Friday? The Astros. We're almost done with – we're almost done. The A's will be on Monday, so we got the Astros on Friday. Nothing like getting people riled up heading into the weekend. All righty. Have a great, safe day, and we'll be back on Friday from 1 to 4. We always appreciate you listening to A's Cast Live, and also stay tuned, A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.